there we are ready here and we have staff and commissioners so we don't need to read our opening statement okay i've got <clears throat> one more minute here Okay, you ready? Ready. Ready, okay. Um, hello, welcome everyone. I am Mayor Courtney Shipley. This is the uh, City Commission meeting for Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. Um, normally we would have um, our statements read, but since uh, we're kind of doing something a little unusual here um, with our guests, we're gonna just uh, go ahead and move on to the approval of the agenda. Uh, do I have any motions to um, accept the agenda? Mayor, this is Sherry Reedman, City Clerk. Can you do roll call first, please? Yes, thank you, Sherry. Um, let's see, Vice Mayor Larson. Here. Uh, Commissioner Finkeldye. Here. Commissioner uh, Littlejohn. Here. Commissioner Sellers. Present. And Mayor Shipley, here I am. Okay, thank you, Sherry. <laughs> uh, now, do I have any motions to approve the agenda? Commissioner Larson, move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Finkeldye, second. I have a first and a second. Um, Vice Mayor Larson? Um, yes. Commissioner Finkeldye? Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes uh, five to zero. Um, now our next item on our agenda is uh, commission orientation. Um, we will have our guest, Professor John Nalbandian. Uh, thank you all very much. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Um, we're going to do a PowerPoint slide, but uh, I have a. I just wanted to say. Uh, uh, Thank Craig for inviting me. And what I'm uh, going to do uh, now is uh, tonight is to share with you um, my learning over the years about uh, local government and effective effective governance. Um, my my there may be some elements of the presentation that sound prescriptive. Um, but that's not my intent. Uh, my intent is not to tell you what to do. Um, that's a little bit presumptuous, I think. Um, what I, what my, my, the way I approach this is I'm presenting you with material that I think I know has resonated with others um, across the country. And um, and the learning, what you what resonate there will there will be things I hope that resonate with you individually, and um, I don't I don't pretend to know what exactly those will be uh, in advance. But the learning is your responsibility, and so we'll um, we'll leave it at that. Um, Tonight is going to be largely presentation, although 
uh, comments and questions are are very appropriate. Um, also, uh, next week, uh, then I'll meet with you. Uh, that will be much more um, much more interactive. So um, let's see, Porter, can we go to the slideshow? Awesome. Okay, so um, let's go to the uh, first first uh, the next slide. Uh, Porter, and that will get us started. Um, this is the outline, and um, what 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 I'm several concepts that really stand out for me as important in contemporary governance. And the first is the notion of bridging bridging the gap, um, and the gap is a gap between uh, political world and the administrative world. And the way I look at that is um, the gap between what is politically acceptable, meaning what is it that we want to do, and what is operationally sustainable, meaning can we do it and can we do it over time? Your effectiveness as a governing body will depend upon your ability as in partnership with the staff and in partnership with each other. Um, it will depend on your ability to facilitate, to contribute to uh, what I call this bridge building between, between political and administrative. The reason why I think this is, uh, why I emphasize this as my starting point is because there's there's always been a gap. I mean, that's that goes without question. I mean, there's always been the political world, the administrative world, and you know, how do we separate them? And, but, but also, you know, we can separate them, but they need to be connected in order for anything to get done. The challenge is today that it's becoming more difficult to make the connections. And it's becoming a more difficult because the problems that we are facing, the contemporary problems that we are facing, they challenge our traditional boundaries, uh, problem solving boundaries. So there's more intergovernmental stuff. There's more interdepartmental stuff. I mean, for example, who would have ever thought that uh, Parks and Rec is going to be uh, uh, have a major role in uh, in addressing issues of homelessness? So that's a that's a new you know it's a new way of looking looking at that. And so the challenge is the challenge becomes 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 greater. In addition is also the us and them mentality that makes the politics more complicated. And of course, as you know, the impact of, of social media uh, on, your, on, on your lives. Um, so bridging the gap is facilitated by um, in two in two ways. I mean, these are the two ways that I look at it, and that's the second and third bullet points. So the bridging work is facilitated by your understanding 
that politics, meaning what we want to do, involves choices among conflicting values. And importantly, no value profile is the best, okay? And then the, the second um, avenue to the bridging capacity is understanding that politics and administration involve more than different behaviors. They are different ways of thinking, differences between you and the staff. And the lens that you are seeing this world through is you through a political lens, them through an administrative lens. So the trick is, can we, can we, can we make those, can we make those connections? Okay, uh, uh, Porter, let's go on to the next slide. Okay, so now um, I just want to uh, show you. Uh, this is uh, we've simplified the org chart, uh, and so you see that the city commission is accountable to residents. City manager is accountable to city commission. Then we have some assistant managers who are responsible for different divisions or areas. And then we have the departments and and uh, in a, in a uh, very contemporary way, because this is not done in a lot of other jurisdictions, but you have organized uh, your, uh, your clusters according to strategic initiatives. So uh, give a lot of credit uh, for you uh, to do uh, to do that. The arrows are going downward, but they could also go upward uh, to recognize uh, communication that uh, takes place. This, this org chart is a, a very traditional uh, uh, way of looking at the structure of council manager government. So there's nothing, nothing uh, different here, nothing dramatically uh, different here. Um, let's uh, go to the next next slide now, Porter. Okay, so this is another way, uh, just another way of looking and see what I've done is I put the city manager in the middle and that's traditionally the, um, uh, the, man, the a managerial role traditionally is bridging the gap, okay, again, the challenge is because it is becoming more difficult to make those connections, the manager's role gets spread and others are drawn onto the bridge as allies. And this can include uh, commissioners uh, as well as people like department heads. So uh, let's take a look at the, um, just click on the next, uh, yeah. So we've got hierarchy, accountability, and then flow of communication. So this chart is really trying to look at uh, accountability and hierarchy, but also the flow of communication. And now becomes, now is my, um, I have a question for you. So let's go to the next, click the next one. Have you ever considered whether the length and the width of the lines in an org chart might make a difference in the relationship between the arenas? 
So you just, just think, I mean, think of all the org charts that you've seen in your life. And you know, you've got all these lines going this way and that way, but nobody, has anyone ever said, uh, well, how come this line is longer than this line? Or how come, you know, sh the, should the lines be wider or what? So now I am gonna totally complicate your life with a new way of looking at these relationships. So let's take a look at the next slide. Okay, so now what we've got is another way of this, we're, we're looking at the same basic relationships, but I've given it more elements and I've drawn it differently in order to reflect what I think is a more realistic view, a more dynamic view of what, um, what these relationships are like and what bridging the gap involves. So you can see I have two arenas. I have arena of politics or political acceptability. That's the top circle. And then I've got an arena of administration, operational sustainability, and that's, that's the bottom. Now, the top circle is where, I mean, theoretically is where the politics takes place. And you will know that I do not use the word politics in a negative sense. For me, politics is a way of making decisions about value differences that have collective impact in a, in a community, okay? So this arena of politics, this is your arena. So, so, to the extent, see, to the extent that you find yourself moving down into the administrative arena for more information, more detail, more whatever. And I know that that's something that you have to do depending on who you are. But the question is, the, 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 the challenge you have is, the more time elected officials spend in the administrative arena, they are in essence giving the political arena to somebody else. See, if you're not in that political arena, who is? Because some somebody needs to be there because that, you know, what we want to do has to be has to be important decided now the circles i've drawn circles but my my sense is that those circles get bigger and smaller depending upon the issue that you're dealing with and they become very very complicated or they can become very complicated as community and third parties, including intergovernmental and nonprofits are increasingly involved in the governance, in the governance process. Now you can see what I have here, the lines, the vertical lines, they represent different bridges, okay? 
So let's take a look at that top left. You see a thin line going from governing body down to the city manager, um, but it doesn't go anywhere else um, from there, that point. And that's because there's not a lot of political will there. And even where there is, it's not operationally sustainable at all. So there's no bridge. There's no, there's no bridge on the administrative side. In the middle, you see a bridge that is a solid bridge. It's a wide bridge and it is connected to both operational sustainability and political acceptability. We're gonna get something done here. The top bridge on the right is one that has some uh, pretty substantial political will, but not a lot of operational sustainability, meaning things like, yeah, I know what you guys want to do, but this is going to cost you a lot of money. Are you ready to make a commitment to, 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 to the money? And on the uh, bottom left, um, bottom circle on the left, I have an administrative initiative whose time is not right. Okay, so this is this is this is when Craig, when he tells the administrative staff, he says, "I know this is important for us to do, but the timing is not right." And so when he says that, what he's saying is the political will is not there yet. Now, you see what I've done with the city manager, that circle? I've elongated the circle. So it's now an ellipse suggesting that the manager's time now is spread more broadly. And so it changes the nature of not the city manager's role necessarily, but the idea that others now are drawn into that space as allies of the manager. And these can be, and often are, department heads, senior staff who now find themselves um, on the bridge, okay, in the gap. Um, and, and, then, um, um, and then also then, uh, it, while it is a formal responsibility of the city manager and I say increasingly the staff, and that gets reflected in the concept now of, um, I used to hear a lot of people talking about management teams. I don't hear much about that anymore. What I hear now is the leadership team. The leadership team is different from the management team because the leadership team has to look upward and outward as well as, 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 as down. Now, to the extent that you as mayor and commissioners can facilitate the bridge building, that is added value to the governance process. This is a requirement of senior administrative staff you, your ability to facilitate this process is added value. Okay, so let's now 
um, move to the next slide, Porter. Okay, so this is uh, the description of value. So this is like the first path to being able to uh, make the connection is understanding that politics is about choices, choices among choices among values. Now, I want to distinguish between um, uh, um, the political world and the technical world in the following way. Um, there are problems that are addressed by the jurisdiction that have what I'm going to call correct, um, correct responses. Okay, so for example, if we have an arithmetic problem and I say, what is two plus two equal? Well, we don't, we don't vote on what two plus two equals because it's a factual matter. Two plus two equals four. Now I read in the paper today, I read in the paper about uh, some improvements that are being considered on Wakarusa. Okay, and it talked about another roundabout and so on and so forth. And uh, to me, not knowing any more than what I just read in the paper, it's like that's going to be a two plus two problem. See, that's a problem where staff is going to come to you. They're going to they're going to have a you know probably not a lot of alternatives. They're probably this is what you know we need to do something with traffic control at this intersection and this is this is technically this is the engineering solution okay so problems for which there are correct answers are not for me political problems a political problem is one where there is no correct answer but collective consequences so for example um the issue that you're dealing with, uh, like should uh, the parklets on Massachusetts Street and whether they should be permanent or not, I don't know where you are on that, but um, you know, you've got, you've, as far as I can tell, you've got retailers saying one thing, you've got restaurant, restaurant entrepreneurs saying, saying something else. And you look at that first value of their representation and participation. And the question is, you as elected officials, one of the values that is embedded in the notion of democratic government is representation. And, and, and I've added engagement there. So you know, see, nobody has to tell you that you are supposed to listen to the retailers and the restaurateurs. So you know that because, because that's the basics, you know, that's sort of the basics of democratic, democratic government. Now, what that doesn't tell us though, is who you will represent, who you will listen to, who, yeah, you'll listen to everybody, but where you, where, you know, does, does somebody's argument have more sway with you than others in part because you represent blah, 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 blah. 
So for example, Bart, uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, I mean, he is like, I mean, he was the Pinckney neighborhood leader. He may still be, I don't know about that. that. It would be very surprising to me if he was not an advocate of neighborhood neighborhood issues. It's probably one of the reasons why he got he got elected. So, so then we have the four values: representation, participation, and then this, the next value: efficiency, effectiveness, professionalism. Okay, this is you know the technical side of things. We have the value of diversity, equity, inclusion, and I've added accessibility there because I'm hard of hearing and uh, I want accessibility to be still on the agenda, okay? Now, uh, and hopefully you will represent my interests, although I can't depend on that because you may have other interests involved. And then the last is individual rights, which are can be uh, civil rights, or uh, they can be they can be uh, property rights as well. So, um, let's see. Um, you as you as individual commissioners, you place different emphasis on each value. You won't discount any particular value because they're all essential to good democratic governance, but you likely, you were elected on the basis of some of your, your constituents seeing you emphasizing some of these values, placing more emphasis on some of these values than others. So I would be very surprised if, uh, if you happen to have a lawyer on the commission uh, if that person was not extraordinarily sensitive to issues of individual rights, okay. Uh, on the other hand, I know you have uh, newer, new commissioners and, and existing commissioners who are very committed to diversity, equity, inclusion. And, and so see, th those are the political differences uh, that, that we might have. Now, here are some observations. I want to make some observations about these four values. The first observation is you cannot have all four values optimally realized at the same time. I mean, it just can't be done. You may try, but it, it's not going to, you, you're going to have to compromise uh, to make something, make it, make it happen. In fact, you can have conflicts within any single value, all right? This is particularly true of the representation, representation value. But let me, let me, let me give you a, another way of, 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 of suggesting uh, these challenges that you have in playing out the values. Um, so uh, uh, I could ask you, I could say, do you believe in majority rule? Well, you might be reluctant to, to commit to majority rule wholeheartedly all the time, but I would be very surprised if you didn't, since in fact, that's the way you make your commission decisions on the basis of majority rule. So then I would also say then, uh, do you believe in individual rights? Then you go, yeah, I believe in individual rights. 
So then I would say, who are individual rights protecting you from? They're protecting you from majorities. All right? So what's the correct balance between majority rule and individual rights? No. See, that's what litigation is all is all about, right, Brad? I mean, it's just you know uh, these are the things. I mean, you read Supreme Court cases. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating how they how they talk about the way they're balancing this value and that value, and so on and so on and so forth. All right, another point. Um, they are all all values are important to building citizen investments in the community and trust in elected officials, and you risk solidarity if you ignore any value over a long period of time. Now, you know that to be true when it comes to efficiency and performance and the money side of things. It's also true, as we've seen across the country, when you neglect any one of the other values as well. Efficiency is one of four values. It may be the preeminent value for some of you, but it is not in the, in the grand scheme of things. You cannot you cannot you, you you cannot optimize efficiency at the cost of these other values. It, they will come back to haunt you. You will have to pay the price. And ultimately, if community building is your goal, Politics is about negotiation and compromise of these values, okay? The way they are, the way they are expressed. All right, so the first path to developing some sensitivity to bridging the gap is understanding that politics involves choices among values and no value profile is the best. The second Avenue is this idea politics administration involve different perspectives. And that you, if you if you are using, you have to realize the lens that you are seeing are, that you are using to uh, when you're looking, you as elected officials, that political lens that you are using when you are regarding the work of the staff, okay? I know you're gonna be sensitive to the value. That's not the issue. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say anything. That I just, it's like you're wearing glasses and they're wearing glasses, okay? So let's see what you see and they see through those glasses. Let's go, oh, I wanna show you too. Um, at the bottom of this, there's a values video and cups video. On my website, which is goodlocalgovernment.org, there are three videos that are 15-minute videos that I use in my consulting work, and they have to do with the values and something having to do with the cups. And, um, and, and so anyway, if anybody wants to check those out, they're available and open to the public. So let's go to the next slide. All right, now, so what I've done here now is I, I've drawn the political and the administrative world in extremes. 
Okay, there's a lot of crossovers. I'm not, not, not trying to suggest that these are completely different arenas because there's a lot of a lot of crossovers. But I've drawn them. I've drawn them uh, sharply in order to make the point. See, I want I want to make the point here. So I want to go through some of these for for you and show you what the political lens looks like and what administrative lens looks like, and see how. See, your understanding of the other of the other perspective is important if you are going to help facilitate the bridging of the gap. All right. So let's start with the first. I'm not going to go through all of these, um, but I want to go through a, a few of them uh, for you. First is the activity. And you can see that the activity on the administrative side, okay, is problem solving. And so this is why, I'm not sure how aware you are of this, but how frustrated staff gets when, um, when a decision that is in your arena is delayed and delayed and delayed um, for political reasons, Okay, but the staff is going, why don't they just make a decision? Because the staff needs the decision in order for them to do their problem solving. All right. And if they can't do their problem solving, they're very frustrated. On the political side, we're talking, as I said before, the allocation of values. But to some extent, politics is a game. Now, when I say a game, I don't mean fun and games. I mean, it's an activity that has its own rules. And if you don't understand the rules, it's very frustrating. It can get very frustrating. The problem is the rules are not written down and nobody's gonna tell you what the rules are, okay? You have to know them. So here, here are some of the rules in this, in this game. First of all, Jim Oliver was a, a noted city manager in Norfolk in Virginia. And he told me one time, he said, John, what council members don't understand is that their most important constituents are the other council members. If you want to get something done, it takes three votes. Okay. A second point in this game is understanding the importance of letting go of issues. Once they are resolved, let it go, okay? Otherwise, you just become very frustrating to the other council members, always bringing up the same, the same thing. Third, you don't have to speak on every issue, okay? It's not a requirement. Believe it or not, there are some issues that will come before you that you really don't have an interest in. That's okay. I, really, it's okay. All right. I remember one time in a council meeting when, you know, in Centennial Park, where there's that guided missile, that old missile in Centennial Park. I don't know if you know that. Well, there was a time uh, I was on the commission, and uh, and and uh, someone came 
to the commission, member of the public came to the commission and said that he thought um, that that um, that uh, missile shell ought to be removed uh, from the park. It was no longer no longer uh, relevant. So I thought it was near the end of the meeting. It was time to go home, and this was a public comment. And I thought I thought you know the mayor was going to say, okay, thank you. Uh, we'll ask the Parks and Rec to weigh in on that, and they'll come back with some. No. He didn't do that, and people and the the five the commissioners started to they started to talk about the missile in Centennial Park. It was time to go home, okay. Uh, and then it came down to me, and I was a swing vote. And I go like this: I go, <clears throat> and then I said, <laughs> I really did. This is true. I said, you know what? I really don't care, and that ended that ended that ended that discussion. When I left the city commission, when I left my eight year my term, uh, staff gave me a plaque, and on the plaque was the missile in Centennial Park, and it said he just didn't care. So anyway, that's kind of the understanding that you don't have to speak on every issue. Everyone has a right to speak. No one has a right to be listened to. You have to earn the respect of your colleagues to be listened to. If you're not respected by your colleagues over time, your, your colleague commissioners will hear you, but they will not listen to you. The key to respect, the key to respect which is your influence grows out of your respect, depends on you using your talents in ways that the other council members value. Now you're gonna use your talents in ways that will help you make your decision, okay? But your real influence comes to the extent to which others are going, uh, Commissioner Sellers, what do you think about this? Tell us what you think about this. I mean, that's a very that's that's being in a very powerful position. But it takes respect for that for that for that to happen. Okay, so now I want to go to the the uh, second the second point the players the players on the administrative side are experts all right technical experts with a trustee mentality and the trustee mentality is they're looking out using their knowledge for the greater good the good of the community as a whole now look on the politics side you also are trustees you have a trustee role, okay? But you also are a representative, meaning you are represent, you, it, 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 I mean, it would be incredibly odd if you did not have predisposition towards certain constituencies rather than others. Now, here's the challenge though. Nobody tells you when you are supposed to act in a trustee role 
and when you are supposed to act as a representative of the constituencies, you need to make that decision, your decision yourself. Um, now, I want to make I'm going to make uh, one other um, uh, contrast contrast here because some of you, a lot of you, maybe all of you, I don't know. I, I think though you probably differ in the extent to which you require um, sort of technical information in order to make the decisions that you are are confronted confronted with. Some of you may keep asking for more and more information, which will incredibly frustrate those of you who don't need more and more information. Okay, so. Um, I want to I want to uh, do an analogy to to talk about the the need for information. Okay, let's say you have a problem with your shoulder. Um, it is very painful to get from here to here. Can you see that on my on my screen? Okay, and it it is really really painful to get full extension, but you can get full extension. Okay. This is really troublesome, though. So you go to an expert, which is medical personnel, and the ortho person, orthopedic surgeon, says, we need some information to see what's going on with you. I think your shoulder is uh, the problem. Let's do an MRI. They do an MRI. Um, the um, uh, the uh, doctor reads the, the MRI and then translates the MRI into fifth grade language so you can understand it. Have you ever seen and have you ever seen the 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 literal interpretation of an MRI? Oh my God, I did and I couldn't understand a single phrase in it. So they're doing this interpretation, okay? And so then uh, the doctor says, yeah, you got a problem with your um, you know, with your a rotator cuff and a cuff, and here's a couple of things we can do. Um, we can give you some medication, and um, the medication you'll take over time. Uh, and what it will do is it will uh, it will not relieve the pain, but the pain will not get any better, and and you will still have the extension, although it will be very very painful. Okay. The alternative is we can do an operation. Now, the operation will eliminate all pain from here to here. So you'll have that mobility, but the price you'll pay is you won't be able to raise your arm above your shoulder. Do you understand the two alternatives? Okay, yeah. now you're gonna say, tell me about the operation. And the doc is going to tell you about the operation, saying to himself, why do you need to know about the operation? What you need to tell me is what value you place on pain versus mobility. Only you know that, okay? All the detail in the world about this operation is not going 
to help you make that decision about pain or mobility. And that's the same thing that goes on when it comes to the value, the value differences. Okay. Um, passion, dreams, and stories, data plans and reports. Okay. Now, the passion piece, um, the passion piece is, uh, let me see, let me get to where I need to get here. Hang on a minute. Um, the the dreams the dreams um, capture the aspirations, uh, the passion fuels the political process, and the stories are anecdotes that convey aspirations and values in ways that a diverse a diverse audience can understand. Now, having said that, am I saying that you need to be passionate? Uh, no, you don't need to be passionate because. <laughs> And here's something, you, you know, Dan Watkins, some of you know Dan Watkins, right? So he was on my political advisor when I was running for office. And one, and he told me one time, he said, Dan, Tom, uh, Tom, John, I can't even remember my name. Oh my, oh my gosh. Uh, John, you're, you, you, gotta re, you gotta understand that there are gonna be times when you are no more than a ventriloquist dummy. You go, Dan, what are you talking about? And he says, you don't understand. You're gonna hear so many things from so many people that you're gonna say some things that really come out of other people's mouths. Now, example, and, and, and if, now you, I, let's, uh, the, the dog park issue, you, you probably remember that, right? Okay, I'm on the Parks and Rec board, so I remember it. But you remember that, and you remember how passionate they were? Would they have like a thousand people sign a petition or some ridiculous, I'm sorry, some number that, uh, some great number that did that? Yeah, now, it. I don't know how you guys regarded that, but all you would have to do is to say, you know, I'm really sensitive to the dog owners and the, the the interests that they have and the impact that that road might have on that. You could say that in 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 just as common language as you can. Guess whose passion that you just released? See, you just endorsed you just endorsed endorsed their passion. Okay, the last thing I want to say, and then we'll finish up. Um, is the business the currency? And I want to talk. Um, I want to talk about well, on the administrative side. It's what do you know is the currency, and what have you accomplished? Okay, that's that's where your influence comes. Your influence as a council member comes from. I mean, to me, it's really simple, and it's like your power is reflected in, does anybody listen to you when you talk? And does anybody really want to hear what you have to say about these issues? Trust becomes incredibly important here. Trust among the council members, two anecdotes. The first is, some of you know Bob Moody, right? Um, hard not to know Bob Moody, 
Well, he and I were on the council together. And, and you know, Bob would say things like, well, he had, I'm not going to say, I shouldn't say this about him. That's bad, bad thing. But he and I would argue over things. You know, on the dais, we're arguing over things because he would say something like, well, I don't agree with that. So I go, well, what, what do you, what do you, he said, I don't know, but I don't agree with that. And so we, you know, we go back and forth and we really had a argument. And then, and so one time, okay, the, the meeting was over and I was like stalking out, you know, like upset, you know, and Moody comes over to me and he says, wait, wait a minute. He says, uh, I know we disagreed tonight. No hard feelings. And he reached out, he reached out to shake my hand. I felt like the smallest individual in the world at that point. He made this gesture that I had never even thought about offering. Now, what do you think that did for our relationship? Another one, another piece, and then I'm done. This had to do with Marty Kennedy. You know, Marty with the uh, Kennedy, Kennedy Glass. So um, when we were uh, constructing the uh, Eagle Bend golf course, that's a whole nother story. But we, uh, so I was the mayor at the time we were, we were constructing the course. But when it, came time for the ribbon cutting, Marty was the, um, Marty was the mayor. And so this was a big deal. I mean, there were a lot of people out there and, you know, the mayor is the one who does the, you know, the dedication and all of that, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. He cut the ribbon. And then he said, after he'd made his remarks, he said to my surprise, I'd like to invite Commissioner Nalbandian to come up here to the podium to say a few words because he was the mayor at the time all of this got done. Wow, I remember that this day. Those are the kinds of things that I think are really important in terms of, of, of billing, building the kind of camaraderie among the council. Okay, let's go to the next slide, which is the summary. Porter, can we go to the next slide? Yeah, thanks. Next one. Yeah, okay. So uh, bridging the gap essential. Uh, role of the translator bridge builder is critical. Cups matter. I didn't talk about the cups. There is a video of the cups. Good politics is about values, not correct answers. Stories matter because they convey the values. Do not ignore any value over time. It will come back to haunt you. The democratic process is messy. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> Don't ever think it should be like, you know, uh, well-organized. I mean, it's messy. Politics administration, are ways of thinking as well as ways of acting. Aligning governing body and staff expectations is crucial. And remember the difference between your role as a representative and your role as a trustee. 
So next slide, please. Okay, so this was on the wall of the police station in Cary, North Carolina. I came back after I had made the presentation, then come back, and this was on the wall at the police station, be the bridge. Problems become opportunities when the right people join together. Thank you all very much for your time. I really appreciate, I appreciate it. Mayor Shipley, thank you so much. Um, this is very valuable. I know I was um, very much looking forward to hearing um, what you had to say this evening and next week. So thank you again. Thank you. <clears throat> so make sure I'm not on mute. Um, so we are beyond our 545. Um, uh, so hopefully, let me look here, some uh, people who are interested in the regular agenda are starting to join up um, or have joined up. Um, so we do want to um, kind of go back and let Porter and um, Sherry make their announcements so that people understand how the rhythm of the meeting tends to go. Um, so I will let Porter O'Neill start there. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everybody. Um, just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Please remember to state your na name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Mayor Shipley, um, thank you, Porter. Um, now we wanna go to Sherry for her list of items. Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, these are just some things to make sure that we're complying with the Kansas Open Meetings Act um, while we we're holding the meeting virtually. Uh, first off, I'll start with, we do have an executive session on tonight's agenda at the end of the meeting. When the motion is made to recess into an executive session, the commission will leave this Zoom meeting and go into a separate Zoom meeting. When the time scheduled for the executive session has elapsed, the commission will return to the Zoom meeting and reconvene the regularly scheduled meeting. <clears throat> if commissioners and staff can please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. When a motion is made, the mayor will call on commissioners individually to provide their vote then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak and staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and limit your comments to three minutes. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. 
The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Again, please limit your comments to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, Mayor Shipley. Um, I do just want to kind of go back for people who are joining. It's a little unusual. We've already done um, item A on our agenda, approving the agenda. Um, item B, we had a nice um, presentation from Professor Nalbandian. And now we'll move on to item C, which is our proclamation for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. <clears throat> Um, this is my first proclamation, so wish me luck. Um, uh, whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. devoted his life to eliminating injustice, racism, and fear with peaceful protests, unity, and understanding with the faith that in the end, racial justice and harmony would prevail. And whereas Dr. King endured imprisonment, physical violence and adversity by government officials and racist evildoers to achieve change that would alter the course of American history with his leadership and practice of nonviolence, which continues to inspire this nation and the world to reaffirm the importance of education and fairness as the foundation to end prejudice and discrimination. And whereas <clears throat> Dr. King devoted his life to the advancement of civil rights and public service he believed in a nation of freedom and justice for all and challenged all citizens to help build a more perfect union and live up to the purpose and potential of America. And whereas we continue to commit ourselves to the dreams of Dr. King in this special year of commemoration, we engage in the valuable activity of reserving a day toward that end. And we recall the legacy that Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. King created and whereas it is remembered in the exceptional values expressed by Dr. King and his legacy as celebrated and recognized by national holidays and the building of monuments for him as a model of American patriotism. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim Monday, January 7th as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and I don't know that we have any speakers particularly, but just in case, I would leave space if any other commissioners have anything that they would like to say, but also no pressure. This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, uh, Mayor Shipley, for that proclamation. Um, only thing I would add is that um, Dr. King uh, did speak about being in a service to others. And as public servants, I think um, we've had the adage that Dr. King the day that we um, observe Dr. King's birthday um, is about more than his speech and it's more than monuments, but it's about being a service. So I would encourage uh, those, although we are in some COVID times right now and we are experiencing surges that there are opportunities um, in different levels that we can serve and be a service uh, to each other. So while some of us uh, may have the privilege of having the day off, um, that doesn't mean that we should be off in our service. And so I would encourage those to, to find some way to be of service, whether it's um, donating to any of our 
our nonprofit organizations financially or tangibly with food or goods, but to be of service that day. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Sellers. <clears throat> I appreciate that reminder. Um, oh, okay. I, yeah, just really quick, I'm going to be brief. Go ahead. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, I would like to add as well that even I, why I think, you know, the, the mayor for the proclamation, and I appreciate the proclamation itself, um, we should all try to live Martin Luther King Jr.'s values every day instead of one day. Um, and uh, this is just a healthy reminder to do to go ahead and do that. Thank you very much for that, um, Mayor Shipley. Um, if everyone's ready, let's go ahead and move on <clears throat> to the consent agenda. Um, all matters listed below on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for their comments. <clears throat> Are there any items um, that commissioners would like to remove from the consent agenda this evening? <clears throat> I'm not seeing anyone here. Um, is there anyone there in the audience, uh, Sherry, who appears to want to remove something from consent? There neither, there's not, no, okay, no mayor. Okay, and, and is there anyone on, online on the Zoom who would like to have something removed from consent? Uh, no, Mayor. Very good. Um, <clears throat> hearing um, nothing uh, wanting to be pulled, I would entertain a motion to um, uh, approve the consent agenda. Commissioner Finkeldahl, I move to approve the consent agenda. Commissioner Sellers, second. I have a first and a second. Um, uh, Commissioner Finkeldahl? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Uh, Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes five to zero with nothing having been removed. <clears throat> um, and that brings us to public comment. Um, uh, the public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on the items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Um, Sherry, do we have people there uh, in the, the room? Yes, Mayor, um, and you're wanting to speak to this item, right? Okay. Yeah. Just public comment, there's no item. Yes, public comment is the item. Okay. My name is Michael, LFK Accountability. Uh, last week I spoke about the need for police accountability. I want to look at why the police can't be trusted to police themselves. The trust is lost with illegal threats of arrest and jail by leaders. <laughs> 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 
That trust is lost with shameless lies while wearing a badge. Listen carefully. That's not what she's going to request. I didn't tell her she was going to bring. I didn't tell her she was going to do this. That trust is lost with aggressive and illegal intimidation. Do you need something? What I'm working on is getting this to legal, see if we can get harassment, stalking, anything that's arrestable. You think that would be a good idea? I think it'd be wonderful. And then we could help each other out. That trust is lost when complaints are consistently dismissed year after year. The seven internal complaints and all seven were sustained. There's 10 citizen complaints and not a single one of them were found to be sustained. Wrongly accusing citizens of interfering and calling observers threats to officer safety. What trust is earned by that? I don't know what your intentions are. You, you, you're you're going to stand by that somebody assumes that we have no intent towards the police officer. We were going to harm them. I'm telling you that I do not know what your intentions are. We demanded sergeants get their people under control individually, one at a time. Stop your officers from beating up people. We won't be here. Many supervisors knew exactly what we were doing and why. Do you guys need to get rid of Brad Williams? Oh, Brad, okay. I think it's very clear what our problem is and what our mission is, and I think we've made it clear that we're not going away. I think you need to take that back into your department and tell them we're being respectful. It's all on video, Neff. Start being a part of the community. Those leaders manipulated officers' fears opened a corrupt criminal investigation and put my safety at risk. Why do you need to find out who I am? There's people out there that want to kill us. That group okay. that are surveying us. And there's you guys that want to kill us. I do not want to kill you, sir. Well, I don't want to kill you. So are we even now? LPD has shown that those demanding accountability are seen as threats to officer safety, and they're treated as such. Bad actors are excused or allowed to quietly move on while their victims struggle to recover, and some never do. Stephen Watts submitted information about a warrior mindset. Do you know about killology or what it teaches? This is our community, not a battlefield. How many brothers do you have out here? How many sisters? They mean less to you than some a mental subject. Experience has taught us that they can lawlessly do harm and be made righteous. There's years of distrust to discuss, but I've only got three minutes. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Good evening, Kanisha Clark, Black Queen, mother of Rontaris Washington. Following Michael, I'm also here for accountability and acceptance of the wrongdoing of my son. He was incarcerated for so many years, only to be dismissed and discarded like a piece of trash as if nothing was done. I need compensation, mental anguish, pain and suffering, education, housing, you name it, we need it. We also need the Lawrence Police Department to be held accountable for the inhumane actions that they did upon my son and my family. I don't need three minutes because my story is short and sweet. Do what's right and do what's human and give us what we deserve so we can leave your hateful state. We was here two years ago. Exactly. And we're back again. Um, as you guys seen from your DA, how she dismissed the charges, try to put all the blame on the people, the prosecutors and et cetera. But let's talk about how it started with the Lawrence Police Department. We also told you guys we had an issue with Maria Garcia. 
the city assistant attorney. We told you guys that the last time he was here. And I'm sure you guys watched the case, how when testimony came, a lot of paperwork came up missing with Maria Garcia. And we're trying to figure out how could she be the city attorney that anything that a, defend, a defendant's attorney passed has to go through her. She's erased records that could have saved Justina's life. There's a conflict of interest with Marcia being you guys city attorney and her husband being promoted to lead detective after Ron Torres Washington Jr. was framed and incarcerated for over seven years. She has got rid of the domestic violence um, paperwork. Um, there's a lot of testimonies and complaints that have not been filed. I've also, and other people have been harassed. And as I was looking at this public records, when I requested paperwork, when I was followed shortly after Ron Torres release, the tag of the person that followed me came back to a Baldwin police officer. I called 911. The police pulled me over and let the car go. But when I request the lights from the camera, you can't see me nowhere, but I'm live. That's documented. It got deleted off my face, but we still got it documented that you can see the police let the white truck go and couldn't make a U-turn and pull me over. You guys thought that when you said case dismissed, that that would be the end of us, but not at all. Because if we stop right there, there's going to be more Rontars Washington Juniors. There's going to be more Albert Wilsons, and there's going to be more Justinas who still has not got justice. We're asking that Maria Garcia be removed from her position. It's a conflict of interest. Her husband cannot be in the police department, and she's your assistant. She's your assistant attorney. Paperwork is going through her. Paperwork came missing in my charge Washington case. So we have no justice. And since Mayor wants to talk about. Um, Martin Luther King Day, the city of Lawrence gets started by donating to the people that's out here struggling, that's doing all the work, because you guys are not doing the work, you're just sitting there. And that's all I have. Hey, Amen. Is that all the public comments? Take them on. Did you have any comment? Uh, that's all the comment from in the room, Mayor. Oh, do we have anything? I think I see one person online. Sherry, is there more? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we cleared that up first. Uh, Chris Flowers. Hi, um, I, I'd just like to uh, voice some support for the people who just spoke. Um, I, I approve with that, what they're saying. Um, what I was came here to say is something kind of different though. Um, at the end of this month, um, the city's gonna have an open house about the Old West Lawrence traffic barriers. And I'm just thinking we should be postponing this for like a month or two, just because of the COVID cases. Like this is gonna be happening inside. And I don't know if you remember the dog park when there was that meeting back in fall of 2020, but there was a bunch of people that showed up to that. But that wasn't as bad because it was being held outside. But what if that many people show up for the open house about those traffic barriers? I I think the potential is more dangerous that, you know, it's more likely that something bad's going to happen due to the COVID being spread at that than 
then what would happen if we either left those barriers up extra long or if we took them down shorter than we were planning to? Like either way, I think the COVID's a bigger dangerous threat. So I think, and I plan on attending. I mean, if you don't postpone it, I'm gonna show up. And if I get it, I'll be spreading it to work. And two of my places where, you know, where I worked last night, like Sunday night, one of them was closed. So then last night I went to work at a different place, but it had to be closed because someone tested for COVID. So right now, I mean, I've heard like COVID's at an all-time high. So I don't. I think we should, if it's not absolutely necessary, can we be postponing some of this stuff? And also I want to go back to the police stuff now that they brought it up. We need body cams on all the time. That's that's something we definitely need if we're going to be talking about um, police like um, re, like restructuring the police or whatever. Um, if we do police reform, we need those body cams on all the time and also support some of the other stuff the people before me were saying. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, no one else has indicated um, on Zoom that they have any general public comment. All right, thank you. Um, sure, let me get back to my agenda here. Um, all right, that brings us to our regular agenda items, um, which for this evening is to consider recommendations from the Affordable Housing Advisory Board regarding funding ap of applications for affordable housing trust fund investments. And I think uh, we'll be Leah uh, Rosalyn here to speak with us. Actually, Mayor, this is Danny Walters from uh, Planning and Development Services. I'm going to kick this off. Um, we really didn't. Uh, uh, first, good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, we really didn't put together a presentation for this because this has been brought back to you from the December 21st meeting. Um, what we have done is added a memo regarding the um, housing initiatives uh, funding that was uh, brought up at the last meeting. So it kind of gives an outline and a framework of, uh, you know, kind of what the idea was for those funds. So um, we have Leah Roslin, the uh, Affordable Housing Administrator here. We also have uh, Monty Sukup, who is the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Um, Daniel Bushcutter, I believe, is also in attendance in case there's some really deep budget questions that I can't answer. <laughs> and then I am here as well to answer any questions um, that you might have on, on that memo or anything else. So. Um, oops, sorry. <laughs> oh, there she is. Uh, Leah, did you want to make any statements now or? Ms. Lear is one affordable housing administrator. Um, no, thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm just here to field any questions that the commission may have. Great, thank you. Um, I guess with that, I would uh, see if uh, commissioners have any questions. Mr. Commissioner Finkel, I, I guess I was one of the people asked to move this, so I guess I'll make a few follow-up questions. First, thank you for the memo. I think that was certainly helpful to me. Um, first question is, you know, one of the options in the memo, you know, of course, refers to the um, homeless needs assessment. Can anyone give me an update? I know I think it's scheduled to be finished in the spring of 20, 
have a here in the spring, but any update on springs of what is it March, is it April, is it May, or do we have anything more than spring of 2022? Um, this is Danny Walters with Planning and Development Services. Um, I I don't know a specific time. I I just know that the the target date for that was spring. Um, I'm not sure if Brandon McGuire is on here. He may have a better idea of the of the date. Um, so yeah, I apologize. I don't have a more firm than no. that. Commissioner <laughs> Finkler, that that's fine. I um, and then I guess again we might not have an answer to this. It, it refers to two other. Um, possible agreements, one with Boat Nash and one with the community shelter. Do we have a timeline on when we think we might see those agreements? Daniel Walters, Planning and Development Services. Yes, uh, the plan is to have those to you in February for for your approval. Um, I they are they are drafted for the most part, so they're just uh, going through the the legal review and and the uh, grantee review. Uh, uh, Commissioner Finkel die and I, I know there's some money left in the in the affordable housing trust fund and I know at least in the past sometimes we've done you know two distributions you know at two different times in the year can anyone tell me what the the plan is for the you know looking at the rest of the distributions or another review another application process or what the plan is Rosalind, Affordable Housing Administrator. Right now, the um, Affordable Housing Advisory Board has set an annual schedule for okay. the notice of funding opportunity. So at this time, we're looking at another calendar year, but um, the board did start having discussions about what other opportunities might exist for more targeted development projects um, that the board could um, perhaps have more of a role in designing. Um, and leverage some of those funds for that purpose. And I guess, Commissioner Finkelai, last question. I know we're just now embarking. I mean, obviously, this is all new for 2022 and, and how we're looking at, you know, some of these initiatives and, and we're still waiting for the needs assessment and kind of figuring that out. And, and I know COVID has thrown everything into different than what we thought. All that being said, as we start, and I know you're already starting to work on the 2023 budget, um, any thoughts on, I mean, is this kind of a process, you know, between affordable housing, um, special alcohol tax and general fund, do you see building the budget in the same way? Um, or do you see us going about that a different way going forward? This is Danny Walters, Planning and Development Services. Um, that's a really good question. I, I, I feel like this one is um, is is reactive to what is going on in the community right now and some initiatives that are kind of already in place that we want to build on. Um, I mean, I I feel like obviously the 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 idea is that you decrease those numbers of of folks experiencing homelessness. So, you know, it it, it could it could look different in future years. I it's probably safe to say that we're we're looking at this at least for. For a couple of a uh, couple of budget seasons here, but um, that's that's definitely a conversation that that we're continuing to have, and it's it's just an ever changing situation. Commissioner Finkel, I thank you for that. And again, like I said last week, I mean it's you know, I mean 
John Albanian was talking about your competing values there earlier. I mean, the values, you know, they're, um, you know, for me, obviously all of these projects that are being recommended, you know, I support wholeheartedly. I think we need them. You know, I think, um, you know, I support them going forward. I mean, I think there's a, you know, I have a competing value on what I hope or um, think some of the affordable housing, you know, funds should be used for in the long run, you know, um, to get us to permanent affordable housing. And, you know, I'd love to, you know, have that, um, you know, more money directed towards permanent affordable housing through, through Ahab. Um, and of course, all of that is here we are, you know, we passed a budget back in July that puts us where we are today. And we're about to be starting the, the budget for next year. So I don't, you know, necessarily want to make any big changes, but I also think it might be worth it to have a little discussion as we start to think about 2023, about how we, you know, kind of think about these funds going forward. Um, again, not my intent to, you know, not fund these things, but maybe how we fund them or where we fund them and what pockets we fund them from and what our goals are. Again, not that we're going to decide that tonight, but that's why I wanted to have a little more information on and I appreciate what information you have brought forward. And again, I think we're still at a point in, until that needs assessment comes out, it's going to be hard to say exactly where we are. And I hope we do use that needs assessment going forward in the 2023 budget. I'm sure that's the intent. Um, but um, anyway, that's kind of where, where I'm at at the moment. This is Commissioner Larson. I did have a question on the $811,000 that's remaining in the budget. Is there a reason that we're bleeding that much in the budget? Is there a certain amount we always want to hold back for stability reasons? Can you kind of talk about that, that um, part of the budget, please? Staff, anybody? This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, are you talking about the Homeless Initiatives Division budget? Well, I just was um, looking or, at the, the, excuse me, this is Commissioner Larson. I was looking at the memo and it says that there's um, $811,000 remains in the 2022 adopted Affordable Housing Trust Fund budget. That's what I was looking at. Um, this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. So, um, the board did choose to leave a small amount to the side, um, but um, did not allocate the full amount that they had planned on dispersing. And that's due to the quality of the applicants and the applications and um, the, um, the priority of the board in terms of funding the projects at this time. All of the applicants received full funding, except for the um, Housing Stabilization Collaborative did not receive full funding. Um, the board recommended 300 um, rather than four for them. Um, the only proposal that was not funded was a solve application. And um, that application was incomplete. And even after working with the solves, we were not able to collect all the necessary information in terms of what the budget is. Um, and including information like what is the guarantee for affordable housing with that development. Um, those conversations were still happening more in the early stages. And so um, I, I know that uh, 
uh, Mrs. Hookup, the chair of the AHAB, is available to speak more to, to that application, um, if that would be helpful. Ms. Larson, thank you. I, I would like to hear a little bit more about what is the thought processes to determine how much money we keep in that fund every year, if there is any sort of policy or procedure on that. And maybe that would be Mr. Sokup. I don't know um, who, who would answer that. I, I can speak to that. There is there is not a policy for holdover. Um, in previous years, we have, uh, because of the tax income, we've had less money to spend. And this year we had a, a quite, a, as you've seen, quite a rise in the tax uh, revenue. So we decided instead of awarding 1.4 million to award 1.2 million, that's what we just put out in the NOFA, holding 2 million or 200,000 over for uh, projects that might come up or for the fact that, you know, if our tax income went down next year, we'd still maybe have a million dollars. But there is no policy. Uh, it's just a, a discussion that our board had, and we decided to uh, put the NOFA out at 1.2 million. Um, the reality is the applications we got, uh, we did not have uh, applications that we felt uh, were worthy of awarding the whole $1.2 million. Um, mostly the, the Saab uh, going south subdivision uh, application, which was a request for about a half million dollars, or $300,000, excuse me. Um, we didn't feel it met the need, the, the goals of, uh, the goals that we had set forth. Um, we do think there's a huge opportunity there to maybe work with them to make that work, but we were not there at the time we needed to make the award for the rest of the projects. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah Commissioner Austin, thank you, Monty. I appreciate that very much, sure. Chair. This is to me. Oh, Vice Mayor Larson, I wasn't sure if you had another question. Okay. This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, I do have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is for either Danny or Danielle. Um, I did, I had a question in regards to our general funds and special alcohol tax uh, funds that we're using to um, address homeless and housing initiatives. Um, I did send it, but I didn't get a response back. And maybe taking a point from Professor Nalbany, and I'm using one of his Nalbany nuggets. I'm going more for the data now <clears throat> on this one, not so much for the stories. Um, but I had mentioned in my email that there was a, a section two of the charter ordinance. It talked about when we, when the city received special alcohol tax dollars that they were dropped into three, it was divided into three different buckets or credited to three different accounts. And so one was the general fund, the other one was the special parks and rec, and the other is the special alcohol fund. And I, my question was, was that still our practice? So that's my first question. This is uh, Danielle Bush, Federal Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. The short answer is yes. Charter Ordinance 33 dictates how those funds um, are distributed across the, the general fund, the special alcohol fund, and the um, special recreation fund. And then later in that charter ordinance also articulates how we can utilize those dollars. Right. Thank you. This is Commissioner Sellers. Right. Thank you, uh, Danielle. I appreciate that. And so my second follow-up question to that, in the memo, we discussed that... Um, 
the current uh, um, allocation for that is that 1.1 million. And I just wanted to know, just formula-wise, is that a 50-50 split? Is, what percentage is general funds and what percentage is special alcohol tax? Uh, Danielle Bush, Cutter Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, so of that amount remaining, 34% of it is special alcohol funding and 66% of that is general funding. Um, just to give you kind of the percent breakdown of, of what's left in, in that uh, portion of the, the memo. Mrs. Commissioner Sellers, thank you. I'm going to pivot real quick over to Ahab. Um, so with the with the Sal project, um, as far as as the years pass of the NOFOs that were done, is this the first project where um, the advisory board has been presented with a private developer that's wanted dollars for infrastructure? Uh, this is Monte Stokup, Ahab Chair. I believe this is the first year we've had an infrastructure request. It is not the first time we've had a private uh, developer interested in, in seeking funding or awarded because we have awarded to a couple of different private developers. Okay, this is Commissioner Seller. So we've had private developers engage and receive funding from Ahab for the housing funds, but this is the first time we've had one request or any um, NOFO request infrastructure dollars? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, so often what we do on, on uh, those requests is the request, the contractor will come in or the applicant will come in and say, okay, I'm gonna provide 47 affordable housing units and in order to do that provide those 47 units that meet these certain criteria of you know permanent affordability or whatever those criteria are they say i need a half million dollars to make this happen we don't actually know where that half million dollars is spent we just know that it needs they need that to make fund the gap on this project to make to be able to rent those or sell those at affordable rate right mm -hmm. so the problem part of the issue with the sob uh proposal was they didn't say how many units they were going to provide there was no permanent affordability so they're just the it didn't meet our project criteria for creating sustainable affordable housing so we've been talking with uh with that company about how that could look and how that project could move forward we're just he doesn't have his uh, the numbers for his project and, you know, all the stuff in place to really provide all the answers we need. And we haven't, we're just not a place where we can get to where we can come to an agreement on what that should be yet. That's why we didn't recommend awarding those dollars, not knowing what we would get. Uh, that's really what it came. It just wasn't, the project just was not ready to be submitted at this time. But like I said, we are super excited that we have an outside private contractor coming to us seeking these funds because that's what it's going to take to move the needle for for the city it's one element of what's needed to move the needle thank thank you Monty. this is commissioner sellers um and i i appreciate that in that meeting um you all did discuss where there is a potential opportunity for the city um to utilize funds in order to to support the project. And 
Um, I know that the discussion was around, you know, you that the, the use of housing trust fund dollars shouldn't be used for infrastructure projects, but more for the capital. And, and correct me if I'm wrong in, in, in that explanation, but that there should be some, some buy-in from the city um, to support these projects um, from the infrastructure component. And so do you... Okay. Uh, so I, 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 there's not a question there, but I, I just want to make sure is that am I following that logic correctly? Okay, so I think there's a little bit of misstatement in what you said. Okay. Um, I think affordable housing trust funds could be used for infrastructure. But what we need to do in doing that is make sure that we're getting affordable housing, which this submittal did not show. Okay. okay. I'm not saying we can't use, I mean, certainly we could use uh, trust funds that if that generates affordable housing, then yes, that is a, a, a viable uh, expense or a plausible expense. Um, in this case, we couldn't show that. But if the city, well, I think what our recommendation was, is if the city wanted to see this move forward, because he was pro, was intending to provide kind of a lower, more affordable, not permanently affordable, not things that meet our criteria, but workforce housing, we'll call it workforce housing. So, you know, smaller homes that are less expensive, uh, but not necessarily in what our definition of affordable is uh, that we that we go by. So. We were suggesting that if the city still wanted to see this project move forward, you know, that wasn't a good fit for housing funds, but it might be a good fit for just city funds to fund this extension of a road that would not only serve his subdivision, but would serve also land to the south and might open up additional development. Um, and that's a city that you, you know, a decision that obviously the commission level or, or budget level, not certainly out of the realm of Ahab. It just didn't meet our criteria. And we're not saying it's a bad project or a bad suggestion. It just didn't meet the criteria for our awarding. Okay. And this is Commissioner Sellers again. Th thank you for that. I wanted to, I, again, I didn't want to misspeak. And so I wanted to make sure I understood um, the rationale um, for it. Um, to Commissioner Finkeldye's point, I, I, I do believe, you know, there are some opportunities here and we're kind of in that um, in, in between stage, kind of like, you know, in between, you know, we're kind of in the summer where a kid's shoe is trying to, you know, a foot's grown, maybe an, another size too big. And we're trying to awkwardly figure out where we're at and um, implementing our, our homeless and housing um, initiatives and with the funds and how do we utilize those. And so um, I'm, I'm glad we got, I appreciate city st uh, staff putting that memo together um, to address this. And I, I think there's some opportunities here in some of the conversations I heard with the, you know, with the AHAB, uh, with the advisory board um, as it relates to utilizing those funds um, on, on projects, how it relates to what those projects are and, and, and what that looks like as far as projects, vouchers, and and services. And I think we're at a place where um, that we need to have some continued conversation about that. Um, I would, I think one of the things that came out of the conversation that was had with the group and what I'd like to see um, is that, you know, that process of, how do we engage um, stakeholders um, 
to get them involved in understanding what it's going to take uh, to build permanent affordable housing stock, um, as well as workforce housing and what those mechanisms look like and, and where do they go and, and what does that flow chart look like? And so um, I think Mr. South's project um, put that in front of us to start thinking about it and being creative on how we look at that and what that process looks like um, in, in relationship to uh, the work, uh, whether that's work that we have Leah do in relation to um, Ahab, as it relates to what planning and development, I, I think there's a lot of things that play here that um, has opened up what I hope to be continued fruitful discussion about what that processing looks like in engaging um, organizations as well as the um, developers and, and helping us um, reach this mark that we have outlined in our in our strategic plan. And we can you know, we're going to get an update of that later on um, today. So I mean later on this evening. So I don't want to belabor that, but um no I, I you know we have some funding mechanisms that play that we need to look at how do we what programs what services should be funded out of those and how do we maximize those dollars especially um since we're at the midway point with our with our housing dollars and um you know we need to do an outlook perspective on that and what we're Know, where we hope to be after 10 years um, with that funding in the hopes that we go back to the community and ask them to renew that um, that tax um, if that's what we choose to have, which I hope that is the case. So um, I, I have no other questions. So I'll, I'll yield my time to other commissioners. Um, Mayor Shipley, are there any other questions? Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, just a quick question for Chair Soka. Um, with AHIP. I've had an opportunity to go ahead and peek in on your meeting today. Um, pretty lively discussion about uh, the SAD project as well. Um, and I think uh, it was Com Commissioner Guffey uh, had mentioned that uh, there might be, uh, you know, it might be prudent to go ahead and be a little bit more aggressive in uh, trying to engage those stakeholders um, and uh, come up with a, a plan and a method methodology that they can go ahead and follow to kind of ramp up their their activity and their involvement. Um, one, I I, I I was really encouraged by that. Uh, do you, and uh, it seemed like everybody else was. Um, and two, have you guys thought any more about uh, you know kind of what that would take, or you know kind of is or is it still like an ongoing process? Was that just the initial thoughts of it? Uh, Smonty Sokup, Ahab Chair. Um, I would say that was the initial thought of that. We have scheduled a workshop for AHAB and you know, I would hope that, that would be something that will be on that agenda that we'll talk about on how we can uh, create some visibility and and start those discussions. Um, I would say that um, everybody from AHAB that's on this call, myself, Rebecca Buford, Ron Gacious, and Leah Roslin have all reached out to Frank Saab and uh, sat down with him and talked with him about how this project could come to fruition. It's my hope that if we can get one kind of sample project with a private contractor and we can show that it works and shows that they can do it, we will have other people much more likely to be interested, but we have to get this one under our belt, right? We have to have this one be successful to, to pave the way 
for other contractors. I think if contractors figure out that there is a way that they can make it work for them where they can still, you know, accomplish their goals in developing and provide affordable housing through the, you know, with partners through the trust fund, they'll be coming to us seeking this funding and wanting to build, you know, those two or three affordable units within their new subdivision or whatever that looks like. Once we can figure out how that all pencils out for them and pencils out for us and it meets our goals. So for us to get this uh, meeting, I, there, like I said, there are four people on this call today that have all reached out to him and had conversations about how we can make that work and, and how we can move forward and, and make that make that project a go. I mean, we're, we're out there uh, trying to do these things. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Commissioner Lilljohn, and I appreciate it. I, did, I, I didn't want that to be on set because that's what it's going to take because uh, we're falling behind and we need to play a little bit more catch up here. So thank you very much, Chair. Mayor Shipley, this is Commissioner Sellers. I have one more question, but I, I did notice that Le Leah had her hand up. So I, I'll yield to Leah real quick. This is the Arizona Affordable Housing Administrator. Thank you, Commissioner Sellers. Um, I just wanted to further comment on Commissioner Littlejohn's question that that's also work that at the staff level um, we're beginning to do in the planning and development department um, to look further at that community benefit for developers and really outline a more clear path forward for private developers that are interested in doing affordable housing projects so that as city and staff, um, we have you know, more clear terms and definitions and just a more streamlined um, way for them to partner with the city in those projects. This is Commissioner Sellers. I'm glad I yielded my time to Leah because Leah just asked, she just uh, responded with what I wanted to hear as far as what uh, what the city was doing. So thank you, Leah. Um, I will. I, I think one of the things that I real quick will say about Mr. Song's project um, in reading um, the notes was the the emphasis on partnering um, with our not our nonprofits um, here in the community with tenants and homeowners and Habitat for Humanity to build out that mixed income unit um, development, which is what you know we we need to see in order for projects like these to be successful. And so. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that I, at least I took from um, the advisory board's meeting on Monday um, is that there's some opportunity in meeting with stakeholders to, to, to have these conversations, to educate them in relationship with the city, with city staff, Leo, with, with the work you're doing in your capacity um, to, to share this information um, with them so that they're understanding how to navigate that pathway so that they understand from the city standpoint, if you want to go this route, this is what's available to you. If you go the Ahab route, this is what's available to you so that as city commissioners, we're also aware of what part we play in this because we do play a role in this, in this process. So thank you. Uh, Mayor Shibley, any further questions at this time? We'll have discussion here after we do public comment. It looks like we have a lot of um, passionate people here. Um, so let's go ahead and move to public comment. Um, Sherry, you can see everyone and I kind of can't. Can you <laughs> call on people for me? 
Uh, yes, Mayor, and there's no one left in the commission room to comment on this item. So if you're on Zoom, if you could please raise your hand um, using the raise your hand function. Oh. Uh, Ron? Thank you. Um, I'm Ron Gacious, a member of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Thank you, commissioners, for delaying your decision regarding the fall AHAB recommendations until you could give more consideration to the funding source for wraparound services for those receiving housing vouchers. I'm one of the advisory board members who expressed concerns about using housing trust fund dollars to support these wraparound services. To be clear, I fully support funding of the wraparound services provided by Family Promise and collaborating organizations as recommended by AHAB. I believe these services are significantly improving light out, life outcomes for many people and warrant the community's support. However, I don't believe they should be funded with housing trust fund dollars. Although the agencies requesting these funds are calling them housing services, it's my opinion that they're more correctly regarded as social services that should be funded through our city and or county social services budgets. While I believe the services are very effective at improving the capacity of individuals and families to live better lives, including staying housed, they really do nothing to create more affordable housing or to make housing more affordable. If the city were currently achieving our original housing goals, I might feel differently, but the reality is that we're falling significantly short of our housing goals we've set for ourselves, and these goals are far short of the actual need. We are not adequately supporting the construction of new affordable housing, and we are not investing enough dollars to keep people, to help people stay in affordable housing that meets accessibility modifications, excuse me, that needs accessibility modifications, improvements for weatherization or energy efficiency, and other essential repairs. To add a little nuance, I'm not opposed to the use of trust fund dollars for housing vouchers. And I have supported housing funding of housing vouchers in the past, but it's problematic when the trust fund dollars are baked into the annual operating costs of the voucher program. In most cases, we aren't leveraging any other funds, although leveraging other resources is supposed to be a housing trust fund priority. In these cases, we are the first dollars in for these housing vouchers. Funding a voucher for one year basically means a commitment to funding that voucher indefinitely. Maybe not a legal commitment, but who wants a headline trying to explain why a family's voucher wasn't extended another year and they ended up homeless? If we want vouchers to have a steady or increasing funding source, we should commit a dedicated source of funding for this purpose. If commissioners want that to be the housing trust fund, I'm all in but we need more affordable housing units and funding vouchers from the trust fund doesn't make that problem go away. I'd also like to make a final comment regarding I'm the Frank Saab proposal. I support it. I hope you can find a way to assist with the infrastructure request. Thank you. Aaron M. Hi, um, I apologize in advance. My cat um, is hungry and so he's making lots of noise. Um, I have a couple of things. I, I don't know if the vouchers that were being referred to um, are Section 8 housing vouchers or if there are like city specific vouchers. 
Um, but I would encourage in the future the Affordable Housing Advisory Board as well as the City Commission to um, to make sure that when you're talking about affordable housing or housing for low-income families um, and working families that you look outside of just those who um, who are on the Section 8 housing voucher, one, because a lot of landlords don't accept those, um, and two, because there are a lot of there's are a lot of reasons that people would be on long waiting lists and can't access those. Um, and then when there has been a lot of talk about, you know, kind of innovative solutions using um, market rate developers who agree to have a certain number of affordable units, um, I would really encourage the commission and the advisory board to be kind of um, skeptical in the first place of those rather than trusting immediately just because a lot of times the definition of affordability um, isn't really helping the people who really need housing um, and the tax incentives and various things and, and the money given to those places can often lead to disappointment. So I also, someone mentioned um, having two or three units in a development as affordable. I think that that is absolutely not enough, especially if they're getting city funding. Um, and then the last thing is that I think that, um, I don't know who's on the affordable housing advisory board, but I really think that um, people, renters in Lawrence um, who are having trouble finding affordable housing who've experienced or are experiencing eviction should be involved in the process of determining what's affordable, what's accessible, you know, um, all of that kind of stuff before um, the decisions are kind of made for them. Um, obviously, uh, services for people experiencing homelessness are extremely important, um, but, and those folks should be involved in the process as well, but um, having low-income renters um, at the table is really important. And I said that that was the last thing, but the last actual thing is that um, I would point everyone to, there's an organization in Kansas City, Missouri called KC Tenants. And um, last year they put out a um, sort of model housing trust fund that is really um, led by the folks who are impacted by the housing needs that are being faced in the country right now. So I would encourage everyone to take a look at that because I think that it has um, a lot of great and well thought out structures and governance and financing systems. So thank you. Monty, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you, this is Monty Sogup uh, speaking as an individual, not as the chair of AHAB. Um, it's my hope that you guys, uh, that the commission will approve uh, the current funding recommendation from AHAB and also give the AHAB uh, board the ability to uh, work with the Saab uh, construction company to come up with a solution and then to make a, a secondary recommendation before the next funding NOFA uh, on that project to keep that project moving forward and, and possibly award, you know, some of the funds if we can, like I said, if we can come to a solution that uh, meets the, the criteria of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Thank you. Michael Sprague. Hi, my name is Gabby Sprague. I work for the Housing Stabilization Collaborative that um, applied for some of this funding. Um, first of all, I wanna uphold everything that Aaron said, um, fully agree with all of that. And I wanna note a little bit later 
um, exactly what I agree with, but I wanted to provide a little bit of financial history for you all for the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. It began in, at the beginning of 2020 with about $100,000 from Family Promise, um, tenants to homeowners, uh, some funding from the Department of Children and Families. That grew into um, the CARES funding in the fall of 2020 to prevent people getting evicted during the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, that funding was about a million dollars. Since then, we have received funding from the Affordable Housing Advisory Board last year to the tune of $150,000. We received $100,000 around the same time from the Emergency Services Grants uh, federal funding for COVID-19 relief. Um, we recently received $250,000 from uh, the Douglas County for emergency rental assistance while the pandemic is still ongoing. And we also received $100,000 from the City of Lawrence for community development block grant COVID dollars. Um, in addition to all of that, we also work very heavily with the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation um, with their Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program, uh, commonly known as the CARE Program, and also uh, the Bridge to Housing Program, which we also received another $268,800 for that program to um, be in Douglas County. All of that being said, the HSC has brought a million dollars, um, $1,968,800, I'm sorry, I'm getting my numbers mixed up, $1,968,800 to the Douglas County community. And um, no smart part of that was through the AHAB funding we received last year. Um, with the amount of people that the HSC has assisted through the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program that I mentioned, that number goes uh, well over $2 million. From the beginning of 2020 to now, we have assisted roughly 1,000 households in preventing homelessness or moving out of homelessness. And we are continuously leveraging funds to make sure people are housed throughout the pandemic while also building continuity and sustainability through our monthly um, stabilization and landlord engagement meetings. These meetings include many different agencies doing housing work in our community, the landlord liaison at the Housing Authority, Mario Ferrero, um, holds our landlord engagement meetings, and I hold the stabilization meetings that I spoke about. These meetings include many different, oh, I'm sorry, um, once the emergency, the COVID-19 emergency is over, we will continue to submit AHAP pro proposals for projects more aligned with developmental goals. But right now, we have received 40 rental assistance applications to month to the state, and 21 of those have been received in the past two days. And anecdotally, many of those are due to missing work due to COVID-19. We could receive um, 150 applications for rental assistance. Um, having said all of that, um, I personally do not think that private for-profit developers should be funded unless proper measures are taken to ensure any and all development leading from the housing trust fund dollars is permanently affordable, and we should be prioritizing keeping people housed so we don't have to spend more money later. Thank you. Rebecca Buford. I'm Rebecca Buford, Executive Director with Tenants to Homeowners. I serve on the AHAB board um, and have been trying to create supply for 20 years now. So affordable housing supply, I should say. Um, so I, 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 I wanna share a couple of things. One, I really fully support HSC and Gabby mentioned this, just the need right now. It's not like we're saying we're not creating affordable housing supply. We are. For a family that could pay market rent and suddenly they couldn't, we're creating an affordable unit for them in that month or those five months that they needed it. We were all looking at this 
I mean, it's just a unique moment in time with the pandemic that we are not out of by any means. So I don't think we want to focus on social services. We need supply. And I agree 100% with Ron. The issue is supply won't matter if we have five times the amount of homelessness and it costs three times more to move someone from uh, homelessness to housing. So let's keep them in their house with these rental subsidies. That is a much more economic way to address the crisis we're in right now. Does that mean we're going to need this kind of rental support forever? Hopefully not. But HSC has only uh, has gotten 500,000 from trust funds. We brought more than 2 million to leverage with that. So 20% of what we've used is a very good um, statistic and economic use of those funds um, that Gabby mentioned serving a thousand people. Um, so I, I really think, and we created a program that's gonna create a safety net in this community for any emergency rental assistance needs so we can be upstream in preventing homelessness and the um, crisis that that causes. So we absolutely, I cannot do it all, but I do wanna say too, that over the six years with trust fund money, uh, tenants to homeowners has gotten 805,000, which isn't very much considering we've created 46 affordable housing units. So that is an average of 17,500 per unit, but we've leveraged another 48,000 per unit. I. I'm just asking, where is Frank Salb, who I support? I've, I've talked with him about his project and said a million times, I will cooperate with you. But there needs to be a way in which we make sure we get the affordable units and the leverage we need to keep them affordable. And so that means for-profit developers, if they get city money, agree to a certain amount of affordable units or they agree to selling them or donating the land to us for the amount of money the city puts in so we can steward them and make them permanently affordable or we can bring more leverage to the gap financing so they can make money still but we can still um, get it down to a truly affordable and not make a $250,000 house, $245,000, which is not affordable uh, to most of the people we serve. We need a $150,000 house. So we are the ones who can bring the, the nonprofit partner and the city partnership in that can bring some of those ways that we can spend this money wisely. And if they agree to some of those restrictions, I am 100%. In fact, I've been talking to developers for the last five years saying, let's collaborate. You don't have to build low-income housing. You, I can bring the subsidy and we can buy five of your units with that subsidy. So I guess what I'm asking is the city commission shouldn't hand over subsidy to for-profit developers. They should hand it over to us, the nonprofits, and we can buy or we collaborate with the for-profit developers and we make sure a certain number of units are kept affordable. Um, so I agree with Erin that she said we need to be a little concerned. Frank has been told this and he continues to not give us numbers. So we just need that. I'm sorry, I went over time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's all the public comment, Mayor. Okay, I see that uh, Leah has her hand up, so I wonder if she's wanting to respond to something. 
she heard. Simply a Roseland Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, Mayor Simply, is it okay if I um, just add a little piece of information? Thank you. Um, so in the discussion about whether um, it is a good use of the affordable housing trust funds to support um, housing support services and other social services, I just wanted to note that in the city code 1-1807 um, where it discusses the affordable housing advisory board and the affordable housing trust fund, it states the purpose of the affordable housing trust fund is to support the acquisition, rehabilitation, and development of affordable housing and supportive services so that all persons in the community have access to independent living with dignity. I just wanted to note that language in the ordinance for the commission. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. <clears throat> um, let's go ahead and bring it back to commission for discussion or any further questions that that might have generated. As Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, I just wanted to uh, add that uh, I, the, there was a lot of definitely passionate comments about that. And uh, I just wanted to add that I wasn't all for giving the money away without any sort of stipulations or regulations or making sure they're playing by the same rules as uh, not-for-profit development. I, I'm just highly encouraged that they actually want to participate in that arena. So. Um, which, you know, is something that, you know, we, we're going to need all the help we can get. So um, as, as long as they're willing to, you know, participate and play by the rules, that's fine. Uh, so I, I, I just wanted to make sure that that was expressed. And any further questions or comments from commissioners? Yeah, this is Commissioner Larson. I have one question for either um, Gab, uh, Gabby or Rebecca about the HSC. And uh, I believe one of them has said that they've served over a thousand households. Um, is all the funding that they receive, that HSS receives, is that all spent in Douglas County? Uh, Commissioner Larson, this is Rebecca. I don't see Gabby, but yes, that is all Douglas County funds, including outside of Lawrence. But um, yeah, and, and a million of that was CARES money as well. So that had to be throughout the county. And that continued program continues to serve throughout the county. So yes, all Douglas County. Uh, Commissioner Larson, thank you. This is Commissioner Sellers to follow up on that real quick, Rebecca. So with the money that HSC receives, do we know what percentage of that has impact of the thousand families that were impacted? What percentage of that was Lawrence proper or Baldwin, Eudora? Do we have those numbers? I'm sure Gabby probably could find those for you and send them out. But I would say <laughs> the majority were Lawrence when I, when I have been involved. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. This is Commissioner Sellers again. Um, I think again, what the SALT project has brought to us is that we we do need to pivot. We've pivot to identify that homeless and housing initiatives is what we're going to focus on, and so now 
knowing what the charge is for Ahab and what we what we're wanting to see out of our community as it relates to our <clears throat> strategic plan, we we do need to pivot and we do need to I identify um, how do we how do we engage private developers? And I appreciate Rebecca's comments. Um, and for those who haven't who've not seen yesterday's Ahab meeting, you know Rebecca did a you know, outlines several projects where it is nonprofit led because of the relationship that they have and with those with that return on investment and how they're able to stretch the dollars a little bit more and more efficiently and effectively using that model. And so I have I have nothing against Mr. Saul. Um, and if they're if the, to Rebecca's point, if he's truly interested in doing this work, then we know we already have a model that works. And he, I would like to see developers participate in that model. Now, what does that mean for us as a city that we need to outline what is available to our nonprofits who are working with these developers? What incentives, what, what is available to them? Is there dollars that we will set aside wherever those dollars may be, whether it's general funds, general funds through infrastructure dollars, whether that's state infrastructure do dollars, federal infrastructure dollars. Um, but I feel like we we do need to to be very clear about, about what that is. I don't think we need to get in the business of di directly working with private developers to do this. They need to be working with our nonprofits. They know how to do the work right. And that's, I, I see that as good, smart, collaborative work between the city um, and public-private, you know, partnerships. So, um, you know, I, I have, you know, I'm prepared to vote on the projects that have been presented um, to us this evening from Ahab. I think there's some work that needs to be done on Mr. South's part as far as what he's wanting. I don't think, I think there's an opportunity for the city to understand their role in infrastructure as it relates to housing, but specifically affordable housing, um, maybe just not in the way Mr. Saab wants to see it. This is Commissioner Larson, and I do support the funding recommendations that were made by AHAB um, during this round of funding. Um, do want to talk a little bit about the public-private partnership aspect of the Saab project, as well as um, other um, private um, developers themselves. Uh, I, I, you know, since the beginning of us talking about this affordable housing issue, since I've been on the commission, there's always been a desire to have public-private partnerships come to fruition. And we've really struggled being able to do that. So anything we can do, not anything, but whatever we can do to foster that arrangement, to foster that relationship, to um, bring in the, the private developers to work with us publicly to do that. I'm, I'm definitely for um, engaging those partners as well as talking about ways that we can do that so that it's a win-win for everybody. Um, however, I am very hesitant about committing any sort of tax dollars to paying for an infrastructure road for a private developer. Um, and, and I would ask that, I would just recommend that we, we walk very cautiously down that road. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have discussions about it. In fact, I think we should discuss it very thoroughly. And I I'm, appreciate that you're going to have a workshop coming up here soon. And I'm looking forward to um, hearing all about that. So those are the type of discussions I really would like to continue to see 
as to how we can continue to think out of the, outside the box so we can can um, get this housing, um, get the housing trust fund dollars to work even harder for us. And I know we've, I, be, I believe we've done a good job historically doing that, but we've got to continue to find better ways to do that. And I just appreciate all the work that AHAB's put into this, as well as just our nonprofits who work so diligently to try to, to keep our community housed. So um, appreciate your work. Um, I do support this, but I'm really looking forward to, you know, what we've got coming down the road with some of the thinking that I'm hearing on the board. Thank you. Commissioner Finkelai, um, I would concur with Commissioner Sellers and Vice Mayor Lawson on, on those comments um, uh, as it relates to public-private partnerships. Take this a little different direction and, and say that, you know, part of that is making sure we have AHAB funds available to do that. And I guess, um, I, I think as, and as you could probably tell from a couple of my questions at the beginning, I'm certainly going to support what's before us today. I think that's the right, um, I mean, these are needed services and I'll support that. But, you know, I do think we have to have a continued conversation about what we want to use AHAB funds for. And, you know, to do, you know, parrot what Craig or Danielle often says, I mean, as we start into the 2023 budget, you know, we start with a strategic plan, what are our goals? We get the needs assessment here in the spring that tells us, helps us define how we're going to fund that. And then we develop a budget and then that to, to accomplish our goals. And that's going to include probably special alcohol tax money. That's going to include CDBG money. That's going to include ESC money. It's going to include general fund money. And is it going to include AHAB money? And yes, it will. And how? Um, and I do think as we look at some of these funds like we're funding today out of AHAB, there's a question that will be presented as we go forward in the budget, I think next year, we want to fund that. Do we fund it out of AHAB dollars? Do we fund it out of general fund dollars? There's, you know, I think that's a decision, you know, we're going to have to make because these are things I think we all agree are needed. And then what does that leave us? Maybe all or maybe part, where does that leave us with AHAB dollars to fund these um, more infrastructure, uh, more development type projects? And, you know, I mean, we've put AHAB in a position of, you know, I think Ron Gacious said it very well in his letter. You know, we've, you know, great requests. If we open it up to the public, you know, I mean, to the, our nonprofits and say, hey, do you need money to do good work? They're going to apply for it and they should, right? <laughs> but um, as part of a bigger picture as the city, we want to say we're going to, we're going to determine what we should fund and then we can say this is how we're going to fund it and then leave Ahab a little more direction on, on what's left for them to fund. We're not going to accomplish that tonight. We're not going to accomplish that in 2022, but I do think it's something we should work towards in 2023. It'll never be perfect. You know, we'll never predict six months in advance what we need um, and we'll never have all the money we want in a perfect world. But I would hope as we move into 2023, that we'd be able to give Ahab a better answer and the community a better answer on where the pots of money are and what are we going to fund to accomplish our strategic plan. Um, and so, 
where we are tonight, I think it's a great conversation. Um, I really support in what they have to continue to have those conversations. Ron, I appreciate your letter. I think it really articulates some of that, you know, back and forth tension. Um, and and I think that is an answer we have to make in the 2023 budget. We probably can't make it the 2022 budget, um, but we can make that in the 2023 budget. So let's work towards that. And I'd hope Ahab would continue to give us input on and how they see the best use of that dollars, as well as the need assessment, as well as the strategic plan. So, um, and then I, again, um, I hope that we have find ways to work with private developers to come forward to ask for AHAB dollars. Um, I do agree there has to be um, connections there, be it tends to homeowners or family farmers or somebody else to, to make it permanently affordable. But, you know, I mean, obviously we, we, we like projects where, you know, Rebecca, you find a lot or, you know, a couple lots and you build some things, but it also is gonna be helpful to have somebody come forward with a 60, you know, they, they own the land and they want to put 60 houses and they want to make four of those affordable housing, you know, whatever that is, a downtown project with 15 apartments and they want to make two of those affordable housing, whatever the numbers are, we will need those partnerships to go forward. We just, um, you know, not all the projects are going to be standalone um, projects and be that the housing authority or tends to homeowners or family farmers, whoever it is. So we need to continue to encourage that. Like Monty said, let's, if we can come up with one to see how it's done, I think others will, will look to follow. So anyway, I've talked too much, but um, I mean, I think we have one thing on the agenda tonight and I, and I definitely will support that motion in the end, but I look forward to the future conversations. Any other discussion comments? Um, I, 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 to follow up on what you just said, I guess I want to make sure because we've all um, uh, kind of expressed <clears throat> interest and support for a project um, that maybe this this with better information and maybe better help and collaboration, this all project could turn into something. Have we given enough? Um, uh direction or support for that that the staff's getting the the message that um we'd like to see that i just want to make sure we don't um leave uh you know um uh, approve this and then not give them um i feel like we've all uh, said support but but i also don't know what that roadmap looks like is it um leah is it um you know does it Climb the chain. To, does it go to planning? What what's our what's our roadmap? How are we going to follow up with them? I just want to make sure someone's responsible for following up with that. This is uh, Vice Mayor um, Larson, and um, w the way I would envision it is that this um, goes back to Ahab. And, and I would encourage them to continue discussions with the SALT project, um, but I wouldn't be ready to commit any sort of dollars to that, um, guaranteeing that something could come down um, later in the, in the as the discussions go forward. So um, I'm definitely wanting Ahab to continue some level of discussions to see how that could potentially come to, to, come to work, something like that. Um, uh, so that's where I'm at with it. Commissioner Liljohn, would that have to be part of a formal motion? Um, I was wondering, or would it? 
would, would the motion just be to go ahead and approve as is? Yeah, I would. I'll entertain a motion here. I just wanted to be sure that we were that staff heard us and that um, I think we all hope to see that um, play out. Just make sure there's not three people who think they're responsible for it, but <laughs> that it's coordinated. That's all. Um, so it, with that, is there are there any motions? Commissioner Finkel, I um, I would move to approve the Affordable Housing Trust Fund investments. Totaling eight hundred fifty thousand dollars as recommended by the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, and to direct staff to prepare the funding agreements with the agencies. Commissioner Lowell I would second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, I have uh, a motion and a second. Um, <clears throat> Commissioner Finkeldy. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. Aye. Uh, Mayor Shipley, aye. Um, that passes uh, five to zero. Um, since we've been going a little bit longer than everyone else has, um, I thought I might suggest a short break. Also, because even after our next item, we'll have an executive session. So if that's amenable to everyone. Um, let me look at the time here. Let's say, could we return at 725? That's 10 minutes. Thank you. All right, I have 725. Are, are we good, Porter? We're good, Mayor. Thank you. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take roll. Not forget it this time. Uh, uh, Vice Mayor Larson? Here. Uh, Commissioner Fingledye? Here. Commissioner Littlejohn? Here. Commissioner Sellers? Present. Um, Mayor Shipley, also here. Um, that puts us <clears throat> at our work session. Uh, the work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in great detail, greater detail. As a general practice, the commission will not make decisions on items presented during this time. Rather, they will re refer the items to staff for follow-up if necessary. Work session topics are eligible for live public comment and the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. Um, so we have um, the long-awaited uh, strategic plan update on strong welcoming, welcoming neighborhoods. Good evening, Commission. Jeff Craig with Planning and Development Services. Uh, but I'm actually here in a, a slightly different capacity this evening as the outcome champion for strong welcoming neighborhoods. Um, so thank you all for, for this evening. And um, it, sorry about the December. Uh, I was going to do this a little bit earlier than that one, but. Um, you know, technology is not my friend, and it, it, it got us on that one there. So um, if you'll bear with me one moment, I'm going to now fight technology to share my screen to show a video to kind of kick this off with. So uh, bear with me while I just about figure out how to do this. I think order I might need the ability to share. It'd be good now. All right, thank you. So hopefully this will play with the audio, but if not, please let me know and I'm happy to try again. So. Hi, I'm Jeff Craig, Director of Planning and Development Services. 
In our work on the Strong Welcoming Neighborhoods outcome, we strive to ensure all people in Lawrence live in safe, functional, and aesthetically unique neighborhoods that provide opportunities to lead healthy lifestyles with access to safe and affordable housing and essential services that help them thrive. We have a number of progress indicators that we've identified to show if we're succeeding in this mission. Today, we wanna to talk about a couple that focus on access to safe and affordable housing. The first of these progress indicators is a point in time count of people experiencing homelessness. At this moment, we've counted 308 people who are experiencing homelessness in our community, and our immediate goal is to get that down to 250 people. Looking forward to the future, both the City of Lawrence and Douglas County have joined the Built for Zero initiative in the spring of 2020 with the goal of ending chronic homelessness in our community by 2023. Built for Zero is about creating a systematic plan of our entire community can follow and our core part of that is knowing everyone experiencing homelessness by name and in real time. With the passing of the 2022 budget, the city has made significant investments towards our goal of ending chronic homelessness in our community, including the creation of the Housing Initiatives Division, which is a team of city employees focused on homeless outreach, emergency sheltering, and rapid rehousing. We've also adjusted our social services grant program so that we're funding outside social service agencies that are doing work to help those experiencing homelessness in our community. The second progress indicator that relates to safe and affordable housing is the affordable housing sales tax dollars that the city invests per unit investments. Currently, for every dollar the City Affordable Housing Advisory Board allocates to projects, it brings in $10.70 in outside investment. We're on target in this progress indicator as our goal is to bring in at least $10 of outside investment for every dollar the city allocates to these projects. Our ongoing strategy is to increase affordable housing opportunities by investing in underutilized properties, developing innovative partnerships, and identifying additional funding sources. This is an area in which the new Housing Initiatives Division is involved, along with our Affordable Housing Advisory Board. The Affordable Housing Advisory Board oversees and facilitates the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which supports the acquisition, rehabilitation, and development of affordable housing and supportive services. In November 2021, the board reviewed applications for funds for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, and in December, they will make recommendations for which community organizations will receive the 2021 funds. In the past, Affordable Housing Trust Fund projects have supported initiatives from organizations that not only work to create more affordable units, but also a variety of supports and services, including accessible housing programs, rapid rehousing assistance, and programs to support critical home repair projects, all of which work in different ways to increase the number of affordable housing opportunities in our community. Strong Welcoming Neighborhoods will continue to keep the community updated on the progress in these areas by updating our data on the Strategic Plan website. You can visit at lawrenceks.org forward slash strategic dash plan to learn more. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. And just, I will get another screen share going here real quickly and just kind of give a brief update on some of the items, including one metric that we would like to uh, propose for an adjustment. And so I will do one more time to share screen and hopefully this shares correctly there. Are, are you all able to see the PowerPoint correctly? Okay, good. Thank you for that. Um, so we kind of kind of alluded to, and, and you all are very aware of what Strong Welcoming Neighborhoods is, is working to do. It's really working to have an aesthetically unique neighborhoods that provide opportunities, 
safe and affordable housing and the essential services to help everyone thrive in our community. And so there's 14 current uh, indicators that we're using to kind of track and see how well that we're doing. But I really want to highlight those three that we kind of just talked about a little bit in the video there, specifically six, seven, and eight, which are point in time homeless count, affordable housing sales tax dollar, and the infrastructure cost per new residential unit. So for SWN6 here, we actually utilize a little bit of uh, some of the data that we get from the state as part of this. And we look at it in a five-year rolling average. And this kind of helps us kind of see the trends over time better. And it's a way to kind of ensure that we're not seeing high and low points in data fluctuation. So for 2020, the five-year rolling average is 308 individuals. The, this metric count, just the year itself for 2020 was 408 individuals. And so right now the target is currently set at less than 250 and equal to and less than that. So we're working to kind of go in those different lines there. And as, as you're all aware, work on the budget, work on the housing initiatives division, and those many efforts is kind of leading us in that charge there. But the five-year rolling average gives us a way of kind of seeing that trend and the levity of the increases or decreases that we have. And number seven here is the one we'd actually like to recommend a change to you this evening on this one. It's currently structured in weight and the phrase is sales tax dollars invested divided by units of investment. So if you go by that number and metric and you look at it, it would roughly pencil out to be about $17,500 per unit of investment. So for every unit, it's about $17,500. We would recommend switching this to be more of a metric that you would see a dollars to dollars comparison. It's very similar to what you see with economic development um, and other funding sources where it's for every dollar invested, this much dollar is, is brought out of it here. That's the calculation that we've, we've shown you this evening on the screen there. For every dollar of, of housing trust fund invested $10.70 were brought in to help work on affordable housing. So we think this is a more of an apples to apples comparison and easier to kind of follow and understand the metric and rule to it. This also goes very closely to the metric that the affordable housing advisory board uses of um, trying to get a leverage ratio of six to one for their investment in their properties. And so that would be what we'd like to discuss a little bit further on this evening. Um, and then of course, uh, SWN8 here is one that we've been in development with for a long time, and we've actually just recently got this a few months back. So we're very, we're still working with the numbers and still trying to understand what it is there. But to give you an idea of what it is there for a property in the city of Lawrence, that is, for those of you who kind of think of it as the RS zoning district, the single detached dwelling development pattern, it's about $23,500. And for a multifamily development, the cost of infrastructure is about $11,300. And so this is based on the, the kind of differences numbers we've seen in the last three years in different planning and development projects that have been going on throughout the city. So as there's been a new development, housing development, we've looked at the public improvement plans and those dollars invested to make those happen to calculate this ratio. There's a key caveat that I should note in this, that this, this, excuse me, this does not include any of that money that takes to hook it to the greater system. So it doesn't account for anything related to uh, water mains, interceptor lines, treatment and water plants. This is just for the infrastructure that is in that development and as, as it comes online. So nothing outside of the planning boundary, if you think of it. So if it's 
connects to the greater system, those greater system charges are not accounted for. This is just in the development itself here. We are still looking at and reworking the targets to get a better understanding of what that is. So I think these targets may evolve and change as we get a better handle on what the data is telling us. But at the moment, we have set it at the numbers here, 25,000 for single family and 13,000 for multifamily as, as kind of our, our starting off point. Um, so it's kind of a broader inference you see there. To give you an idea what that difference is, um, it's about $12,000 difference between a single family and a multifamily development cost per unit when you look at those numbers. And then just to keep you updated on a few of the other ones that we have going on, we're still working on 12 and 14, as you can see on the screen, related to energy code and costs and also um, public land use for environmentally sustainable uses. These are some data set that we, we have some of the preliminary data, but we don't have enough of it to really get at the heart of it. But Strong Welcoming Neighborhoods is continuing to work on those fronts to get data and we're hoping to have that soon. They're just um, data that we've never had, so we're coming at it from scratch and we're hoping to get some really good effort on that. Um, but again, just in case anybody is interested, the website is lawrenceks.org in the strategic plan there, and you can see on the, on the website. Um, and with that, that is actually the, the bulk of my presentation. So I'd be glad to answer any questions, provide any insights, and, and also uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the flight modification to the Strong Welcoming Neighborhoods number seven. Hmm. Um, Mayor Shipley, uh, I guess uh, any any questions or comments on that? Hey, this is Vice Mayor Larson. So are we just discussing these specific items tonight that Jeff brought up or I, I am a little confused as to what we're actually discussing? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. I was just bringing uh, a brief update on these. We just highlighted these three here, but I'd be glad to answer any questions on any of the, the performance indicators or anything related to strong welcoming neighborhoods. Any other questions and comments? Mayor, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Craig. This is Commissioner Summers. See, Manager Craig Owens, it's just on that last question. I should have set this up a little bit more. Well, this is the first update of what you should expect in every meeting. And um, so every fifth meeting, you should hear about strong welcoming neighborhoods. You're going to be hearing about our progress on what we've considered the most important work, and that's our, our strategic plan work. And what we want, really want to do is center the strategic plan on our conversations. Uh, having a plan that we don't talk about will not keep it active and we will not keep it in the front of mind and probably won't work it as hard. And so what I'm really what we're trying to do here is is put this in the center of the agenda your agenda physically and um, ask that we continue to talk about it. We want to talk to you about it. We want you to tell us, are we on track or not? Engage with us in this work, engage the community in this work so that this is the progress on the most important things that we do rather than, you know, a lot of our agenda is 
responsive to day-to-day things that come up and it's pieces of this, but it's not centered on the strategic plan. So this is an innovation and this is a way to keep fresh what's most important to us, uh, the strategic plan. So I should have set this up a little bit more instead of just uh, throwing Jeff to it, but thanks for that question, um, uh, Vice Mayor. Commissioner Finkler, I was just going to say, um, first of all, I, I appreciate that, Craig, and I appreciate this presentation. I do think it is helpful. You know, I, I, I do think, I mean, I understand we only have so much time to highlight, uh, but I did pull up the strategic plan, you know, of course, the, the website, which has all the information on it. And, you know, of course, you know, factors, progress indicators, one, we have information on, you know, in, you know, a lot of these. And I guess I would highlight number five, which is the percent of households that are experiencing housing stress. And our goal is less than 15%. And currently we're at, looks like we're at 51%. So going back to our last item, I mean, that's a, an area where affordable housing itself is one issue. Affordable housing, permanent affordable housing is one issue, but you know, some of these issues related to housing stress and the general affordability and how people in our community and how much of their income, you know, you know, causes stress. I think that's a very important factor that we have to continue to look at because it not only affects the income side of things, how are we doing economic development, how are we getting people's income up, but it also is on the affordability side. How can we keep the cost of housing down in this community? And I think that's an important factor that you know, I'm going to continue to watch to see how we can make progress on. Uh, but I appreciate the whole website, all those all those factors. And I guess while I have the floor, I'd say I agree with the change in that progress indicator. I think that's the appropriate um, change to the number seven or whatever it was, seven or eight. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn. Um... Actually, I, and, and I would agree with Commissioner Frankeldye, and I would think it's actually pretty prescient. I'm not sure if it was on purpose, but it probably, knowing Craig, it was. Our conversation today, and uh, the, the actually the letter from Mr. Gacious and uh, uh, Commissioner Finkeldye's comments, and also uh, Ms. Dubert's comments regarding uh, folks when they become houseless to get them back into homes. So that we really should try to make sure that we maintain their homes and, you know, help them stay in their homes. So, uh, and that points me to uh, the indicator six, um, you know, and, uh, and, and also, you know, seven that, you know, we, these are obviously questions that we, that have been brought up before uh, that we think are relevant um, and uh, that are worth discussion. So um, that's hopefully, uh, going to Commissioner Finkeldye's point earlier in the meeting, um, before we go into budget deliberation in July, um, these can reappear and we can become pr uh, front of mind so that we can have those larger discussions like Commissioner Finkeldye was discussing. Yeah, create planning and development services. The one thing I would share, and I think the, the ones that uh, the commissioners have highlighted are, are ones that I think of as bridges to the other outcome teams the prosperity and economic security, safe and secure, and, and a lot of those commitments that we have as, as part of that strategic plan. So they're, they're in strong welcoming neighborhoods, but they're really 
they're, they're extremely linked to all the other outcomes in many ways. And it really shapes the way that we talk about conversations, not just at AHAB, but at, at, uh, at many of the advisory boards and amongst staff ourselves. I can, I can share a conversation we've had at Planning and Development Services numerous times about, you know, if we really want to do something about housing stress, how, how many ways can we get about it? Because there isn't a single answer here. It's going to be an answer on numerous fronts and, and different efforts and not just something that can be led by a department or a level of government. So it, it's one of those things that if you want to talk about the plan having a real on the ground impact is this has started to shape the conversations that we have in the department that I, I work with quite a bit. And it's it comes up in many different ways and many different facets. So I think it's a very important bridge to kind of focus and continue working on. Yeah, this is Vice Mayor uh, Larson. And yeah, I would agree that these three items that were chosen to, to, to talk about tonight definitely fit in really nicely with our previous conversation. But I have to admit, I was expecting more. I was expecting a more thorough discussion of what the status is on all of these items to some degree. And, and, and I realize that may draw it, that conversation to be pretty long or the pre presentation to be long, but I don't, uh, I would like to hear more about these other items as to where we're at with them, if we're anywhere with them yet. Maybe we're not. Um, so I guess that's where I'd be coming from is, is I would want more. Thank you. This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you, Jeff, uh, for the presentation this evening. I'm glad that we were able to hone in on um, the three that we highlighted this evening. I think it was a little bit more kismet than the stars that aligned is what we've heard other commissioners speak to. So I'm glad we were able to focus on these three to hopefully have some fruitful conversation and so that we don't inundate ourselves um, with each indicator so that we have some really solid intense and intentional conversation around them. Um, so thank you for that. I had a just quick, I have a couple of technical questions and then um, maybe a, a more in-depth question. Um, in regards to um, indicator number five, um, which uh, Commissioner Finkel and I uh, brought up in regards to um, households experiencing housing stress. Um, when you click on the metric, it does say percent of households that are experiencing housing stress, spending more than 30% of their income on housing. And then it says rental in percent of, and it doesn't tell me what that is. So my question is, are, is this an aggregate number between homeowners and, and, and individuals who rent or is this just our rental percentage? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I'm not sure what the website is doing there. Um, my technology, again, not my skill set, I'll be honest there. The, the metric itself is showing a bit of a combination there because it's three in five rental households are experiencing stress in the community. And it's about one in five homeowners that are experiencing stress. So it's, it's an aggregate of the numbers that we have there. So it's um, the numbers we have are a little bit backdated based on the Census Bureau, but it's three and five and for rental and one and five for homeowners about that. Thank you. Because I, I mean, I, I, I see value in seeing the percentage. Um, I think um, oftentimes, you know, aggregate data can can tell the story, can tell the compelling story, but we often miss some of the valuable details. And as a renter in, in, in our community, I, I would 
you know, it's all the same. Yes, stress is stress, but uh, from a housing standpoint and strategic, you know, as it relates to some of our other indicators of moving um, renters into homeowners, then it would maybe look at the possibility. I don't know if I don't want to create another indicator, but we may need to create another indicator to how do we address those um, those stresses, or maybe we say we want to decrease that to one in one in five or zero. You know, zero or something like that. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of thinking as we process through this. Um, strong welcoming neighborhoods, uh, indicator number six, point in time count, experiencing homelessness. I know you said we do this on a five-year rolling average. Um, and I, I, for me, this is more, I've, I've always felt titchy about point in time counts because they're not as accurate as they should be. And not knowing, um, you know, typically point in time counts are, are are done with your emergency shelters and you know our transitional housing units. And so, I, I I'm always cautious. I know this is we have to use the data that we have, um, but I'm always just worried that that number is not really telling us the real story. That I. I, I'm I'm also I'm concerned that that number is a little bit higher, and that it doesn't really speak to again. It's it's an aggregate number, and it doesn't speak to um, families that are experiencing um, um, homelessness. And and maybe there's an opportunity for an indicator there with that. But um, again, I I think what we have now, what we use is point in time, which is a, a standard that is respected and and, and used. And so I, I just have that. That just that small concern with that um, and how we use point in time numbers. Um, that is that's all I have for now. But again, I I love the website. I send it. I send the link to everyone um, so that they can get a deep dive into what our strategic plan looks like if they need something to visualize. So I'm, I'm glad we do have that resource available to us as commissioners to share with the community. So thank you. Um, Jeff, I know you kind of asked us a direct question about number seven, but I do want to do public comment. Um, and oh, I'm sorry, uh, Vice Mayor. I'm sorry, um, Mayor. I was just I had a few more questions. Is that can I ask those first? Yeah, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm not sure what I'm doing here either. So, um, so as I'm looking at the website and showing the progress indicators, um, do we do we have anywhere on here that shows how we calculated that data, how we tracked that data? Um, do we have anything like that on there? Where the data came from? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I believe. I don't believe so at the moment. I think that might be something that the website is working on, but I, I'm not the expert on it. But um, we do have some pretty detailed production notes for that. I see Danielle's coming on to correct me where I've gone astray. So, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Jeff, I was just going to say you hit the nail on the head. Um, that is in the works, um, and we will be updating the website uh, when we have all of that done. We didn't want to do it in a piecemeal fashion, so we wanted to gather all of it, make sure it's looking good, but it is in the works. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Larson here. Thank you. What, was that it? Do you have any more? Okay. <laughs> 
Thank you. Uh, yeah, just last, last check. Any other questions? Okay, let's go ahead and do public comment. Um, Sherry, do you see anybody? There's no one in the room and there's no one on Zoom either. Say what? All right. Well, okay. Uh, uh, let's bring it uh, back to us like, for some discussion. I um, So, Jeff, I felt like you asked about number seven first, although I think many of us have already commented on it um, for what it's worth. I, I, I think that one makes a lot of sense. I get that. Uh, if that helps. <laughs> Any other comments on that? This is Commissioner Sellers. I, I, I felt like Rebecca alluded to it, alluded to that number in her, um, in her testimony. So yes, I, for me, it makes, it makes sense to me to know what that full value is other than how it's presented to us. So I, I have no, no objections to that. Okay, uh, Mayor Shipley, I'm not hearing any objections to that conversation. I did want to maybe, I mean, I hate to say that number eight surprised me. I mean, um, the things that aren't included are things that I would commonly call infrastructure. So um, that, um, I appreciate that you're still working on it, but that did also make me ask more, <laughs> you know, um, so what is, does it only include curbs? Does it only include roads? How does it not include all these other things? So um, I didn't want to make you say more about that, but maybe you could. Jeff Craig, Plague and Development Service, I'd be happy to. Uh, it does include um, all of the infrastructure that goes into it. So curb and gutter, streets, um, subgrade improvements, water, stormwater, sewer, those kind of items. But again, it's only contained inside, it's only for the developing area. So anything that would be connecting to the greater system or to the plans we can't calculate out. So it, it is all of that information that goes into what's called the public improvement plan. So anything that the city would be taking over and maintaining comes into that. So the, the ramps and all the details that come along with that. Thank you, that uh, Mayor Shibley, that, that, makes, that makes it make sense. Thank you. <laughs> um, any other comments or questions about um, the the number eight that he's brought to us. This is Commissioner Sellers. Just to piggyback on that, I'm just curious to know, Jeff, the the target numbers. How did how did you come up with those? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. It was really one that we're still evolving on, quite truthfully. So I think those are going to change quite a bit. What we did was we used the values that we knew at the day and we kind of escalated cost based on what we we're seeing in construction contracts a little bit. Um, the engineers did a, a lot more math um, that I'm giving credit to. And I think we're going to have conversations in, in our outcome team about does, do those metrics need to evolve and change and come down? Do they need to go up? Um, kind of a much broader conversation, but we wanted to have at least a starting off point for the target so that when we were having those conversations with the team, we could have at least have something to kind of go from, if you will, there. 
If I could interject too on that, uh, this is city manager Craig Owens. Um, since this is the first one we're going through, um, there are 70 or 80 measures that throughout our scorecards, and those are the primary ones we're looking at and then we publish on the website that we think are the key performance indicators. There's hundreds of other ones probably that are lead indicators and that our staff uses, um, but it, it, the engagement with the commission and what you're looking at is really going to be helping us set the targets. As we start to develop this, this tool out more and we have the data a lot more reliably, fewer little orange cones, that's where you all will be saying, this is where we'd like us to be this year. And then we'll be responding with a budget that that we believe will set the mark to deliver those and that's really that dynamic that's going to be you know our budgeting process using this as the centerpiece will be a really policy-based and policy-driven budget with a lot of challenge for us to say this if you want to hit these targets throughout this entire card then here's here's the the budget it's going to take to do that so i'm excited about that but this is this is an evolution of this tool it's a very complex tool and, and we've made a lot of progress but the exciting work i think will be when you all are engaged in it in a way you say this is where we'd like to be next year build the plan to do that commissioner finkel i'd only add that you know the fun of that is you know, the competing values, we've been talking about number five and number eight. If you made number eight zero, you know, that it, there's no infrastructure cost, well, that make five easier, but that would be a whole other problem that we present ourselves, both budget and otherwise. So, you know, these are always going to compete against themselves. And I think trying to understand what those metrics are and what the goals are, um, are important. Um, but, you know, I do think the I do think having this information before us and having these goals will help us make those decisions better. So I very much appreciate it. Um, Mayor Shipley, okay, so uh, was I, I was I hearing that everyone is feeling good about number eight? Um, and we did kind of discuss number six was every, I mean, yeah, it's not a perfect metric, but overall, are we satisfied with? I'm seeing yeses here. Okay. This uh, is Commissioner Sellers. I, I mean, there's so much that goes into point in time and well, uh, getting your your homelessness count one, the definition of homeless, um, you know, with our school district, you know, with the definition of McKinney-Vento, what homeless is, that's different than what we typically use or what HUD uses. Um, so I think we're using point in time, which is, I don't want to say industry standard, but that is what, that is, that is a count that is, that is synonymous. It's just like when we use the census count for, for population um, number. So it is, it is to be used. Um, I think as we talk about built to zero and tackling um, the multi-headed monster that is homelessness, as well as housing initiatives that address houselessness. We have to understand that homelessness means a lot of things. It's couch surfing, it's sleeping in your car, it's transitional housing, it's emergency shelters, it's families living with other families. So um, I, I, I say that because we're using what we should be using, but as a commission, we have to think of when we're talking about 
addressing, eradicating, or mitigating homelessness, and how do we get families housed or help individuals to be within a home, we also have to understand the different mechanisms of which they are homeless. And that is not necessarily just a person in an emergency shelter. It's someone sleeping on someone's couch or sleeping in their car. So just that's more of a, 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 an educational piece of recognizing that you know, we're, we're tackling a, a, a big, hairy, audacious goal that has a lot of different tentacles and that we have to understand how they relate to each other. And um, um, Mayor Shipley, I would also say that as we move forward and get some successes, we can still reevaluate these um, in light of much better information. You know, once we get the study and we know where our gaps are and um, we have more, hopefully, uh, social workers and, and services that are going to help us identify those variables that you're discussing, and we're going to get a lot better information. Um, so it feels like this is a place we have to start, but um, be ready to um, reevaluate. Commissioner Finkel, I'd only echo those comments from Commissioner Sellos and you know, part of the Built to Zero plan, especially as we talk about chronic homelessness, is to basically be able to identify every chronic homeless person by name, understand their situation so we can help them. And and so, you know, we as communities that have gotten to that point, their point in time count is a lot easier because they've already identified them. But also I would echo Commissioner Sello's point. I know I've, with my work at Family Promise, many of the families that Family Promise work with aren't counted as homeless under the point in time definition um, set forth by the federal government. Because again, we use, I mean, that's a federally required count that we use their definition. And, and, and I know that some of those families, the couch surfing families, for example, are not considered homeless, although, um, you know, we certainly have to look and try to address that as well. So I'll very much echo Commissioner Sellers. But I do agree for now, that's the count we have, but maybe a year from now, it'll be different. Yeah, this is Vice Mayor Larson, and um, I think uh, Commissioner Sells kind of hit it on the head, so to speak, when she said it's a multifaceted or multi-head problem, and the data that we're using is a very singular data, and that's just what we've got right now until we can continue to, to develop this model and, and develop how we look at these um, these issues. So um, I'm all for continuing to fi fine-tune this and make it as, as, as good of a point and count or a count that we can and, and make sure we take into consideration all these other aspects of being homeless that, that maybe don't fall under that right federal definition or whatever the definition that we're using. Mayor Shipley, I'm, I'm hearing um, a lot of accord among us um, on these items that um, Jeff wanted some input on. Um, so in the interest of carrying on, um, uh, I guess I wonder um, when we see you in five weeks, um, Jeff, are you going to focus on uh, different ones or how, how are you going to purse these up? Uh, for our digestion and yours. <laughs> Jeff Craig, Plague and Development Services. Um, being being the first has its benefits, I guess. And I'm 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 kind of setting a trail here. Um, what I would I would hope to do is is give you an update on not just these tonight, but also help introduce you some of the work that we're doing on the other ones. 
Um, but I, I will share with you, I, I think what Commissioner Sellers has made a comment about is something that we struggle with as staff is that we're always trying to find a, a, a better way, a new data set, something that helps get us clarity into that. Um, so as we're working on these different items, I, I would expect to bring back to you, you know, some other changes that we may see out there or some new data sets that we've evolved into. Um, but also just to be able to introduce some some new key performance indicators and talk about them so that they're also in the in the discussions as you're going forward. But um, so it's kind of kind of a bit of a learning curve for all of us on this one. But be happy to bring back these and others as we keep going forward. Mayor Shipley, well, I I thank you for this. I, as I said, I've been very excited to uh, start digging in uh, to everything and. Um, um, this is some excellent work and I'm, I'm really glad that staff seems to be, um, uh, making this their, um, their project and that they're invested in it. So I thank you very much. Any other comments that we want to make in, in terms of direction or questions before we carry on? Okay, thank you again, Jeff and um, Danielle <laughs> also. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah, commission items. Um, I, I think maybe some people didn't, we, we were in a rush last week to go home, so there might be some people that have had some items on their list. Uh, any, anyone want to throw something out there? Commissioner Finkeldy, um, seeing John Albandian reminded me, and I don't know if <clears throat> this is for Porter or Craig, but um, just curious on kind of if we're working on the timeline for the form of government public engagement process um, and kind of a timeline of when we might roll that out and then you know, maybe working backwards from a November election when we might want to see that in the commission, that sort of thing. I know we were waiting until after the first of the year, but just checking in. This is Porter Arneal. <clears throat> Thanks for asking, Commissioner Finkeldy. Um, we are working on that and actually are working with um, Professor Nalbandian on helping us with that. I don't have a distinct timeline. Frankly, the COVID situation has uh, caused me some distraction, but we definitely have things in queue. We're working on a video that helps explain the background of that information and provide sort of a basic um, uh, foundation of understanding before we talk about um, what's on the, the docket, so to speak. Commissioner Fingal, I thank you. I, I think, again, we have some time and just, just getting that update. So appreciate it and look forward to moving forward to that when the time's right. This is Commissioner Sellers. I know we discussed tonight and we have an other meetings, the, um, the report um, from KUCPPR on the um, homeless assessment. I know we said there's that the report should, we should have a draft or something around the summertime. And I don't know if we needed to put that under the TBD to keep it just on everyone's mind or if just saying it, having the minutes reflect that we've discussed it. But I mean, I would like to see it on the TBD just so that we keep it in the front of our mind that that draft report is coming so that we can have some time to discuss the dig into it and discuss it.
Any other items? Um, I wanted to, oh, I, I reminded um, City Manager Craig Owens of this. Um, in the past, we have done a joint meeting with the county and the school board, and we have not done that for a long time uh, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but I think it's uh, important. I, I just wanted to uh, just remind us that that was a thing we used to do and that um, I don't know that it's our turn, but it might be. Um, and I want to <clears throat> do whatever I need to do to facilitate that since it's been so long um, since we did that. Um, uh, so just by way of uh, reminding us that was uh, um, a tradition. Um, and hopefully to, to communicate with our partners and, and get something like that going. Um, and then, you know, I think I, I've talked about this with the city manager <clears throat> again, and I don't know what interest there is in it, um, which is to remind us, uh, as I have become keenly aware, we have 49 boards and commissions. <laughs> and, um, Staff has at some point identified the amount of um, out man hours and and can directly attribute an, an expense of funds on all those boards and commissions. And do we want to think about um, aligning our boards and commissions more directly with our strategic plan, maybe in a different way than we have in the past? Um, uh, not just in the interest of perhaps paring down some that, um, uh, you know, maybe don't do what they used to do or whose, you know, whose focus has risen to the top of our list. You know, some of these wars started when, you know, no one was talking about those subjects and they needed that advocacy. Well, we've put some of those things, not just at the top of our list, but uh, to be discussed every single time we talk about something. So I just thought um, if anyone else was was interested in um, having some dialogue about that, um, any, anyone had any interest in that? This is Commissioner Sellers. I think you bring up an a, a interesting concept or a way for us to look at it as far as our, our boards and commissions, how they align with the strategic plan um, I know Craig has been making the circuit to speak to several of our boards and commissions to, you know, bring them in and on what that looks like. And now, to, you know, we have a dashboard that shows that this is a living document. And, and I think there's some opportunity here for us to, as commissioners, to see how, you know, to, to, to really talk about how do we see our boards and commissions working. Um, in this plan and, and what that looks like and if there needs to be some modifications or you know con, you know some condensing or of whatnot so i i think it's it's an interesting concept to think about for us to have discussion on um because i know many of our boards and commissions probably aren't having it and this is a way for us to do the work that we're wanting them to do Yes, this is Vice Mayor Larson, and I'm really looking forward to this. We've discussed it in the past, and 
kind of waiting or working to get the strategic plan kind of off and running. And so I think this is a good point in time to start considering how we can get our boards to align more with our strategic plan um, to make sure that the advice that they're given to the commission is, um, uh, is going to help us further implement our strategic plan. And, and I think the better they understand it, obviously, uh, that it helps them to, to to determine, you know, what do we need as a community to meet that strategic plan, to meet our ideas and our goals in, in that plan. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm glad we're at this point right now in, in the in the process, and and so I welcome it. Um, Mayor Shipley, any other comments on that? I would just ask Craig. Um, are we giving you enough information for you to? Um, assign this properly? Uh, City Manager Craig Owens, yeah, thanks uh, for that in the discussion. I, I think there's a lot of ways to go about this. Um, what I'd like to maybe do hearing it tonight is uh, uh, maybe bring back for a discussion piece uh, in the, within the next month or so uh, on one of the meetings and lay out a few options, uh, ways to go about it and get some direction from the commission on the next steps that we might take to try and uh, to some new ideas and concepts. Mayor Shibley, great. Thank you. Uh, again, any other uh, things that have been cropping up here and there that we <laughs> didn't get to last week? I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Um, now the city manager's report. Uh, City Manager Craig Owens, uh, it was really the single item and that was future agenda items. So happy to answer any questions you might have on that. Um, Mayor Shipley, this is a public comment item. Sherry, do we have anyone left who might like to give public comment on this? Does not appear so. <clears throat> um, Great, Mayor Shipley, then let's uh, move on to calendar items. Um, it seems like I talked to somebody about something and now I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> Commissioner Finkeldy, you and uh, Mayor and I talked about, if you look ahead into March, we have the um, NLC Congressional City Conference on, on March 15th. Um, it also happens to be spring break that week. Um, and there is, it, it March happens to be a five Tuesday month. So I didn't know one if, of course it might all be virtual now, but I don't know if staff or some of the commissioners were planning to maybe go to that conference um, and or if people are planning to be gone on spring break that we'd want to consider moving that 15th meeting to the 22nd. Um, to free that that week up. I don't know if we have to answer that question tonight, but something to think about. Commissioner Lowjohn, I'd be in favor of that. Commissioner Vink, like Craig, do you have any thoughts from staff perspective on that or if people would uh, go to that? Oh, that yeah, same Andrew Craig Owens. Um, 
We have not participated that much in National League of Cities. Um, there are a lot of opportunities. It is a tremendous resource. I don't know that anybody is planning to attend this uh, conference, but certainly we would be you know, supportive of more participation. Mm -hmm. I would also say spring break will um, create some uh, different faces on, uh, participating in our meeting probably if you keep it on the 15th. Um, Commissioner Finkel, I will, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping the possibility open of going to the conference, but I'm also probably going to be on some college visits with my daughter that week. So I would prefer to move it if others besides Commissioner Littlejohn were open to moving it, especially because we have five Tuesdays that month. This is Commissioner Sellers. I've spoken with Bobby about attending the National League of Cities Conference, so I was planning to attend and was hoping other commissioners were going to attend as well, uh, whether in person or virtual. Um, but I would not be opposed to moving the meeting to the 22nd. Mayor Shipley, yeah, if it's virtual, um, I'm, I would definitely do it. If it's um, in person, then um, yeah, my preference would be not to miss a meeting. <laughs> so if we reschedule to the end either way or just, you know, to give um, staff and other commissioners the availability to be with their family at a time that is very healthy to spend with your family, I'm absolutely for that. Vice Mayor Larson, I'm all for it. I'm fine. Uh, Mayor Shipley, okay. So that sounds like we're we're all. I think I guess that would maybe be for Sherry's um, benefit. She'd fix that up for us. Um, we'll we'll bring back the appropriate action at the next meeting to do that. <clears throat> <clears throat> Any other calendar items? Um, okay, uh, that brings us to our executive session. And this is my first executive session, so I forgot to check in with Sherry that I do it the right way. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I just need to read this, right? Com Commissioner Finkler, I, without Commissioner Bully here, I can make the motion. He was the, he was the expert at it, but I'm yeah. happy to try. Um, I would approve, um, make a motion to recess an executive session for 45 minutes to discuss privileged legal communications from the city's attorney regarding pending litigation, potential claims and contracts pursuant to KSA 75-4319B2. Justification for the executive session is to keep attorney-client privilege matters confidential at this time. The city commission meeting will resume in its virtual format in accordance with resolution number 7388 at the conclusion of the executive session. Vice Mayor Larson, second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, um, I have a first and a second. Um, Commissioner Finkeldine? Aye. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Um, Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Um, Mayor Shipley, aye. Uh, we will recess for 45 minutes. Sorry, I don't know what that is because I can't see a clock right now. <laughs> Sherry, what is that? I don't know what that gives us. Nine. 9.02. 9.02. 9.02. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. There you are. Uh, see everybody here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take roll.
Um, Vice Mayor Larson? Here. Uh, Commissioner Finkeldy? Here. Commissioner Littlejohn? Here. Commissioner Sellers? Present. Um, Mayor Shipley here. Um, I have nothing to report. Is that what? <laughs> that's what I was supposed to say. Um, uh, and so I think that's everything you Sherry, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, with that then, um, I will um, entertain a motion to adjourn. Move to adjourn. Commissioner Larson. Commissioner Seller, second. I have a first and a second. Um, Vice Mayor Larson? Yes. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Finkeldy, sorry. Aye. <laughs> Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Mayor Shibley, aye. Uh, that passes five to zero. Um, thank you, everyone. Have a nice night.